This episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast is brought to you by On Point Pomade. Keep your beard and hair looking on point with their line of pomades and beard oils over at onpointpomade.com. Use our code BSP15 at checkout and get 15% off your total purchase order. So thanks again to On Point Pomade for sponsoring our show. This episode is also sponsored by the Bean Bastard Coffee. Head over to thebeanbastard.com and pick up any one of their delicious hand-roasted coffees. Coffee lovers will also enjoy their hand-cut and handmade espresso candles and soaps as well. If you're in the Buffalo, New York area, head to their store located at 448 Elmwood Avenue. And thanks again to the Bean Bastard for supporting this show. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. With over 500,000 officially licensed items in their online store, you're guaranteed to find something you need. Use our code BREW and get 10% off your total order. Now on to the show. everybody welcome to another episode of the brutally speaking podcast i am your host john well you know what damn it this isn't another episode this is episode 300 it is a milestone we celebrate those here on occasions when you reach them because why the fuck not and uh this episode's guest is actually going all the way back to the beginning it is mr christopher betley my really good friend and tattoo artist uh he was actually the first episode's guest of the podcast of the pilot episode if you will as well as really being the man behind me starting this. Um, you know, as as we said in the first chat, and I think we said in this one too, uh, you know, a night at the bar at Mulligan's, a local watering hole that we used to go to, uh, was the impetus for, you know, him telling me that I should start this podcast versus the one I was doing previously. And I really have to thank him for pushing me to go on this journey. It's taken me to a lot of different places. It's it's afforded me to meet and talk to so many amazingly creative people. And it's just wild to think over the, oh, I think five years at this point, where the podcast has, has gone and taken me. And the thing about this conversation specifically that I think is interesting is, you know, when listening back to it yesterday uh, to level it out and all that kind of stuff, it uh, it felt very me-heavy. And I was a little bit bummed about that at first because I feel like the first conversation that I did with Chris was a lot more focused on him. And that, and that's typically what you want, you know, when you're interviewing someone. But then I kind of realized, like, I don't necessarily feel like I interview people anymore. I just have conversations with people. And sometimes a conversation is a little bit more dominated by one person. And then, you know, you give the other person their chance to, to talk uh, at length about something. And I feel like this is really actually a great example of Chris and I, how we are when we're just sitting down, having a couple of drinks like we did during this chat 
and just talking. There's there's no agenda. There's no motive for anything. There's no, you know, nothing's off the table. We just go. And a lot of times we we do talk about the things that we go through with this. I know there have been times where, you know, Chris has kind of told me some things and I've kind of given him a different perspective other than the one he has working through his own stuff. And there are a lot of times I will go to him and I'll be like, man, I was, I've been thinking about this or this thing in my life has happened. And, you know, he kind of helps me work through some stuff. And it's really an audio snapshot of our friendship and why I, I love Chris as a person, why I think he is a, uh, just one of the most kind, selfless human beings I, I know. Um, I, I wish everyone knew Chris the way that I've gotten to know him over being friends for fuck, uh, probably like 15 years at this point, or maybe a little bit longer. And I, and the sad thing is, is, you know, as Chris and I had kind of said in this conversation, you know, we're at the age where you kind of don't need new friends. You don't need new people. Um, you, you have your core of, of who is important to you and to have, you know, and I know Chris feels the same way, but it's like to have to have someone like that that has that that tenure with you as a friend who has been through some shit and has seen you at your lowest and at your best and and just wants nothing but the best for you. It's it's really magical and it and it really makes you appreciate those kind of friendships. Um, so this is a, a big gushy uh, love fest of of me talking about one of my best friends. So without further ado, episode three hundred. This is me and Christopher Bentley having a conversation. Talk to you on the other side of it. Uh, a bit befitting to have episode 300 literally start when the podcast started here in my my dining room table across from someone that I've known for longer than I think either of us want to admit uh because then it tells us how old we really are long time long time (laughs) um but yeah, in preparation for 300, uh, I had a lot of ideas as to, oh, it'd be cool to do this. It'd be cool to get this person on. It'd be, you know, like a, a way big guest, you know, to kind of celebrate it. And I realized in kind of thinking back, you know, there was an episode I did where I had William Duvall of Alice in Chains on. Oh, and I was that's, like, that's you so know. cool. <laughs> and the funny thing, what is though, is that when I had him on, it was just like we dropped it like a the, like, couple weeks later. And a few other people that were ended up doing press with him, it was like, this is episode 100 or this. And like, they made a right. big deal about it. I was like, oh, I feel kind of like a dick. Yeah. Like, that, I mean, but then I kind of thought about it a little bit more, and I was like, I mean, to a degree, there really shouldn't be an emphasis on someone being bigger or more important than somebody else. Yeah. And when I kind of thought about it like that, I was like, well, then maybe I think the, the thing to show... Didn't my wife put that bug in your ear? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. She had kind of said something, but I also think it was kind of the more... I had been thinking about it because an idea I had had was to do three phases of 300. Right. And you're going to possibly hear my dog barking at things. Um <laughs> Which is actually on par with where I was just the statement I was about to make, which is, you know, you were in the first 300. Then it's like you go to from like one, like 201 or 200 to 299. And then you grab someone that was like the the best of of that and just kind of going forward. Right. And kind of really 
getting a do-over per se, but just kind of full circle momenting it. Because, I mean, in life, you don't really have a whole lot of those. You don't really have the opportunity to, I don't want to say redo, but just kind of reconnect. And that was something that you and I had talked about in doing this when we had done ours. Was that well, it's, it's insane, just, man. I was actually going to say that when you right when you had first... You know, we talked about it that I was just like, I was super proud of you that you did all this stuff. I mean, 300 episodes, man. This was all about me just kind of complimenting you in a bar, just saying to you, like, listen, man, like, you should do that. Because the, 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 the one thing about you that I liked is that when you would poise, like, questions to people your questions weren't that 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 lame vanilla you know what i mean where you're just like so how did the band form or so like how did that you're like you're like no it's like you had this great way of really digging at people and i remember watching the video ones some of your youtube stuff where literally like the the artist would stop and go that's a really good question. You know what I mean? Like, and I was like, and that I think was, is your talent is like, you're very much, you have a very good way of just not doing the run of the mill crap. And that's why, that's why I was really happy. I'm really, I mean, dude, 300 episodes later, that's amazing. That's, you know, and the fucking level of people you've had on this man, like, holy shit. Like guys that we were like, I'm like, who did you get? You got fucking the guys from corn. You got the guys from fucking, you know, like uh, as I lay dying, like all sorts of crazy shit. I'm like, holy, that's blew my mind. Well, I mean, so, I mean, it's something you actually kind of hit on because, you know, what's been happening more with these is that they've been more just organically conversations happening and they're they're just being recorded. Yeah, you just started up, man. You just, like, just so people, like, know who aren't hearing this, he just pushed enter and just started, he was like, "Eh," and so, I was like, holy, all right, we're going, here we go. (laughs) But I think the, the interesting thing about that is I think it lends to more interesting conversations instead of a style I kind of adopted before where I would write a bunch of things out and I might have a singular question and I'd build around it. Right. And then and so this is kind of a little inside baseball as to how I my process of being quote unquote creative is I would go, OK, that's a good question. And then I try to build on either side of it and very much like writing a book or whatever. Right. I knew that here's my middle. But how do I get there? And then how do I transition into a smooth ending if I have 30 minutes or right. an hour or whatever? Yeah. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people know that I would do that because it sounds natural. But then I would go, well, you couldn't get here to here if you if you just ask those questions, it feels disjointed and, right. and that's not how a real conversation works. It's almost like a sequence in a movie where it's right. like, how do we get from... I storyboarded right, a conversation, exa- basically. Exactly, yeah. Uh, I Kevin Smithed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was one of those things where, you know, it got a lot of really great things out because I like to over-plan and over-prepare. Um, but something, you know, I like about a lot of the podcasts I listen to is they're just more natural conversations. You know, yeah. a little bit about someone and then you just kind of go. Right. And sometimes it's in that, that magic uh, of the in-between. Sure. And that I think the real interesting stuff comes out of. And I, you know, often think about the conversation you and I had. I literally had no notes. I just sat across from you and I talked to you. Yeah. And so I was like, if I did that on episode one and the magic was there, you can literally hear it. It's like, why would I deviate from something that obviously works? I just need to be more comfortable with myself. Right. And I think, that's something and you know a question i'll pose to you because in basically five years now of this happening a lot has changed i think for both of us as people in our lives like oh yeah at this point now like you're married yep uh you legitimately own your own shop now like it's just you and you know something that you had commented on on a mutual friend of ours facebook post recently was you know they were looking for help uh with a therapist like they're like my therapist is fine but like i i just don't connect with them the way i feel like i need to right right and you know i offered a little bit of the help i had gotten through you know better help uh, yeah and it worked for me and then but i was kind of surprised like you were like here's this book right and i think that's a little bit more telling of you yeah. and your personality yeah but 
there would have been a time I don't even think you would have posted that out in public. Like, no. The, uh, like, even just the fact of, I read this book. Right. It helped me. Maybe it can help you figure out your journey or whatever. Right. And I was thinking about that in conjunction to how therapy has helped both of us in our mm. lives very recently, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that book was, uh, like, Anxious to Please was this book because, you know, right when I got out of college, you know, it's like I, all of a sudden, like, anxiety became like this new thing. And I remember, like, I was trying to, I don't know what the right word is, but it's like, um, I was trying to mitigate what was happening. So then it becomes like, you know, you, you start like, you know, smoking weed or you drink or, like, you know, you're self-medicating and whatnot. And so I literally just said to myself where I don't want to do this because I started noticing to myself that I was, you know, like, well, I went to a doctor and I said, Hey, I'm nervous. And they're like, well, here's, you know, look what they would use. Here's some Xanax, you know? And so then I started abusing it, you know, where it became where I just had it. And, and I, when, when I mean abuse, I don't mean like I was just like popping those all the time, but it started to become this cycle of before I would just have it on me and then, you know, then it was, okay, I'm going to be in a nervous situation. I'll take one preemptively. And then it just became, okay, I know I'm going to do this or I know I'm going to be in these situations. So I'm just going to take one there. And then the amount started to get more where it was like 0.25 milligrams by the end, within a year and a half, I was at two milligrams, which is the maximum dose you can take without being in a hospital. I mean, like, we'll give you like a five milligram, but that you'd be in a coma. I mean, like they did knock you out. So anyways, and I remember the day that I realized that I didn't want to do it. And this is when I bought the book, um, is when I, I, I was doing laundry, ironically, cause you were just <laughs> doing yours. And, uh, th- there was wares on my jeans with a pill bottle was just sitting in my pocket. And I was like, do you want to fucking be like my age now? Like, like you want to be 40, you want to be 50 years old and be fucking on these pills. I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. So, and I've always, I guess maybe a little pat on my own back. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with myself that I have a good way of my, my brain has a very great way. As long as I find a new matrix to build around it, my brain kind of goes, okay, that seems logical. Let's go with that. And so I bought this book called Anxious to Please, and it talks about the false fear. And that's really what anxiety is. Everyone thinks anxiety or anxiety attacks or panic attacks or something like that is this weird phenomenon it's actually a natural response is where when you're in danger or you feel nervous your body starts to give you signals of like the sweaty palms and your heart and all this stuff but it's not doing it to cripple you it's telling you hey it's fight or flight time do you want to deal with this you want to run away you only got two options here and so it talks about the false fear and it kind of changed my my life because this is you know i'm I'm not a doctor i want to speak out of out of school but People would say, oh, I suffer from panic attacks. And I always say, you probably don't. You probably suffer from anxiety attacks. Panic attacks is an adrenal gland problem. It's like you can get that fixed with surgery. But most people, it's like 95% is anxiety, an anxiety, an anxiety attack, which can be corrected through therapy and psychological stuff. And so Anxious to Please was like that, saying like, get comfortable. Because guess what? If you're an anxious person, even if we get out all the stuff that's making you that way, it's probably going to be your first response for the rest of your life. You just have to find a way to run through it. And so this is so stupid. I'm sharing this, but the thing I'll say to myself every single time, and it's very morbid is that I I'll say whenever time I get anxious, I'll, I'll just be like, you know, nothing's permanent. Everything ends. Nothing's per- And that makes me feel it because I mean, most anxiety, what it lasts like five minutes, 10 minutes, you know, and then it rolls off you. But what happens is that it'll last longer because 
you don't have anything to stand on and you'll just like, you ramp yourself up. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, oh my hands are sweating. Oh, oh man, my heart's kind of going. Oh, fuck, there's that person I don't want to see. Oh, oh, you know, and you start ramping yourself up where to me, I just would kind of sit in it and really experience it and go, I'm not going to let this dictate how I'm going to deal with the situation. And then I would say, you know, nothing's permanent, everything ends. And it helped. It was weird. It's funny because it, while not the same triggers, basically, as to why my thing, that kind of the hangups I, I was having. But it's funny because it's essentially, mine was more not setting boundaries or not, not adhering to them when right. I set them because then, you know, the confrontation. But even beyond that was more of uh, what my therapist would call, like, you know, cognitive, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy or whatever. Yeah, yeah, Where, yeah. like, for me... I would be more apt to I would be more apt to think of something and then I would try to solve that and then I would try to think of the next thing that would come and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Right, right. And the way that they showcased it that I felt dumb when I looked at it cuz I was like, well, I mean, it's not that many, but then I was like cuz it was like come up with something where you would fill all these cogs that are basically running the main problem right right so it's like fueling that like yep. yeah that wheel so it's like if you didn't think of these seven other offshoots you wouldn't be able to like the one big problem wouldn't be able to keep turning other ones yeah you, you wouldn't be looking for deviation yeah kind of choking out the first yeah. almost like if you were to take a snowball at the top of a mountain it's like you know like how do you not just roll the snowball like stop stop it from the, the start almost yeah saying. yeah yeah choking and off. so it's it's one of those where i mean even today it, it's weird how literally like the last hour before this is now already informing the first 10 minutes of the conversation but you know i was talking to a fellow podcaster and he was like hey this episode you did because i dropped like a holdover episode because we're doing this now and then some other things fell through of how episodes are supposed to drop because i wanted this to be 300 right and so i was like oh fuck like scrambling around and changing things up and then you know i kind of got everything in line but i put out an episode i had done within the first probably year hmm. this you know yesterday as when we're recording and he goes it's funny because like i can tell how much you've changed and how much you've grown as a person doing this and he goes because like oh, one yeah. of your first questions is like oh so how's the tour going i was like he goes and i i hate that question i was like oh i hate that question too and i was like if you actually listen like another like 30 seconds beyond that the reason i asked is because the band at the time had just literally gotten into an accident right like, the day before or two days before right. so it was just kind of more like a segue to like i didn't want to just straight up like be rude and ask that yeah. question but like that was the more interesting yeah. thing about something that just happened to them while on tour um you have changed a lot that too and it's perfect example is 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 people ask me all the time like you know how do you how did you get good how did you I'm like oh, dude practice practice repetition and the same thing you can look back at your old podcast i'm sure some stuff makes you cringe you're like oh i shouldn't have done it like that or god my recording doesn't sound the way it should you know what i mean it's like and now you're 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 polished you put five years in and, and you put five years into any craft if you haven't seen you know a yeah. <laughs> a, a a betterment to yourself then you probably should just give it up but you know you're doing great but it was funny because as he was making a comment about that, he goes, oh, I mean, I was listening to the episode you had done with Marcos from POD. And toward the end, like, he was making a comment about how, like, you know, he was excited to do this interview. He was, you know, da 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 and you guys, like, we're homies now. And you're just like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And I was like, he goes, you still have this sense of, like, not belonging or something. I was like, yeah, you know, I dealt with that in therapy. And I think it really stems from, sorry, that's our puppy wanting to go outside because it's outside. Um <laughs> And essentially wanting to, like, where does that come from? Why do you still feel inadequate? You've been doing this for five years. Like, you've talked to some of the biggest people. Like, why do you still feel like, oh, uh, I don't yeah. know. 
And I was like, you know, I mean, as much as it all it always does, like stems back from. I've never felt your, comfortable in my skin. Yeah, man, I was gonna ever. say, I think it's you know, not taking anything away from my dad or anything like that, but it's like you know, we grew up in the generation where it very much was, um, you got an A, you didn't get an A plus. Yeah, and it's the like, and the, and I understand that it's the the goal of that, the the function of that is to never settle. You can do better. But then the flip side of that is when you're you're this so pressure damn, of perfection like, almost. It's yeah. like if you when you equate it into grades like that, where it's like, I had a ninety five percent, I got an A. Well, you had five more percent to where you would have been like the best. Right. You, you didn't get it, and it's almost like there's a few different ways you can take it. I'm going to be motivated to do better, which you know is a thing. But I also think it sets this unlevel of expect or unnatural level of expectation of. Well, then it's a failure, and right. I'm not I'm not good enough, or whatever. Or right. people are better than me, right? And so you're punishing yourself instead yeah. of motivating yourself. Yeah, it's almost like atoning for not living up to somebody else's standard of who you should be or what's expected of you. Oh yeah. And so to me, like when I kind of was thinking about that, I was like, you know, yeah, I've been doing this for five years, and there's still people I'll talk to, and you know, there are friends I have, but I'm still like, it's still hard for me at times to be like, no, I am good enough. Like, it's like that Stuart Smiley thing. Gosh yeah. darn it, I am good, and people like me. Right. And it's like, it's it's hard to, to do that, and, like, the natural thing I'll do is kind of deflect, and oh, it's yeah. weird because it's like, you know, I joke all the time with my wife because she hates getting older, and I'm like, I love getting older because, like, you have to earn it. Oh, like, yeah. You have to earn being older. Yeah, like, for sure. And Every year is a victory, you know? <laughs> yeah. You made it. You made it. I mean, in, in light of, you know, now we're at the age where, like, family and friends are dying and stuff, and it puts everything into perspective. But that was another weird thing about therapy for me was, you know, telling stories about someone, and they're like, oh, how did you resolve that? And I go, oh, that person's dead. Yeah. <laughs> or I'm like, we're like, oh, what about your brother? Oh, yeah, he died when I was, like, two. Right. Uh, and he was, like, a few months old. And they're like, and they're like oh. oh. Okay. And it was just like, so to me, like, death isn't a big deal because I've been around it so much in my life, but yeah. it's weird that it's not that way for other people. And I think that's the thing therapy taught me was looking at things from a slightly different perspective than the one we're used to. Right. And yeah. that life isn't happening at or to us. It's yeah. kind of happening at us. Well, it's back to your, even your, your thought there with, um, you know, uh, 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 what was, God damn it. You were talking about, uh, before just, be, uh, Oh uh, yeah. Like the, you know the the not belonging and, and feeling like you know like you're 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 not there and stuff like that and um or that that you you don't belong to these like groups you're not the cool kid or whatever is you know I I've said like you know I I, I was never part of that and um there's the it's weird because it's like there's a, there's this weird teeter totter where it's like there's the confidence and then there's the ego and the egotistical you know and then there's the humble and then there's like the, the punishers you know what i mean <laughs> and there and there are these like because it's okay to be confident but there's a certain level of ego that you have to fuel to be confident but there's this tip where then you get egotistical where you're like then everything you do is awesome and then the same thing being humble is being like i can you know i'm i'm you're you're, you're being receptive you're taking in criticism and it's like and you can say okay i can be better i can do better you know it's like i'm never gonna be there but then there's also punishing where it's like i'm never gonna be good i'm never gonna be this you know and i i, I see people do that and i always try to say like the best thing i can say is like be your own best friend as best as you possibly can be. And your best friend will tell you sometimes when you're fucking up. And, but he also will tell you how amazing he or she will tell you how awesome you are when you're kicking ass. And that's, that's what I mean. It's like, be your own best friend. Give yourself a pat on the back when you do good. You know, always know that you can do a little better, but also don't like, don't 
you know, fucking smash yourself into the dirt when you're down. Just be like, okay, what went wrong? This and this and this. Okay, let's, let's rectify that. Let's try not to make that mistake again, and you move on. And, uh, and to your idea of this, is, it's so funny that you, were, you just brought up death because I was actually thinking that on the way in is where someone asked me, like, not even like two weeks ago, they like, what's your greatest fear? And I always said death. And they said, and I go, and not the way that you think. Like, I'm not afraid to die. I'm afraid to go with grace, I guess, is that, you know, religion, it's, I'm going to go on a whole crazy tangent, but like, so, so this is one of those where, you know, I was a staunch, like, atheist, agnostic, nihilist even, like an esoteric nihilist. And I, my favorite thing in my 20s was I loved to freaking just poke holes in religious ideologies and, I, and theists and deists. I love just to be like, well, like, how do you explain this? I explain that. So anyways, I get out of my twenties and I realized in my early thirties that I was like, you know, you're, you're kind of cavalierly dismantling someone's kind of how they go to bed at night. Yeah. Like how there's like, I'm going to see grandma when I die. I'm going to see this person where it's like, yeah, like, and, and again, like it's, it's, it's a terrible thing to do because there's some people who they've really wrapped their whole brain to that. And like, that's, and that's essentially what faith is. It's like this leap of like, I don't have a lot of evidence for this, but I really believe it. But anyways, so then I always put my faith in like science and stuff. Well, as I've gotten older, I'm going to be 40 this September. Science may give us a, a rather an ob, ob, observ, what is it called a factual observator, meaning it's observing things that are obviously happening in nature, but it doesn't give us the real whys either. And this is always my example I use. Water freezes at 32 degrees Fahrenheit, right? They go, why does that happen? Well, we know the molecules at 32 degrees slowly slow down and then they solidify so a liquid becomes a solid. Right, but I go, but why does that happen? They go, I'm like, why not 30 degrees? Why not 38 why 32? And they're like, well, we just know that's what happens. I go, so it's a fact that water freezes at 30 degrees, but do we know why it actually happened? No, we don't. And that's not a spiritual take. It's just there's no solace either in freaking science. So I said to myself, I don't want to be on my deathbed, hopefully, knock on wood, if I get there. Um, I don't want to be on my deathbed and looking at the people around me. And I'm not going to be able to say goodbye because all I'm going to be doing is screaming at them. Like, I don't want to fucking die. I'm too, I'm terrified. This is it, man. Like, I'm going to know. There might be nothing. There might be this amazing thing. I don't fucking know. And so I started to find, um, I'm, I, I'm gonna, I won't say I'm on a spiritual journey, but I just want to find peace. And that is what I think is like when we get into our older age, if you're still struggling with, you know, uh, I don't know if there are other ways to say it, but like if you're still struggling with your career and 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 and, and family things and self things, like fine, that's that's all going to be there. But like, really, when you get to forty, I mean, it's pretty much middle age. Is like, you know, what what do you want to do with the rest of this time? And are you okay with knowing that? Guess what? Like, it's it's a, it's a it, the countdown is now a real thing. Where it's like when you're twenty, man, it seems like a thousand years from now, and then go twenty years more, and you're like. Okay, it's not like around the corner, but I'm halfway around the building, you know what I mean? And so I just, I, I don't know. I, and so, long, long story long, but I've been really trying to find a new, like back to your idea of the perspective. I just want to be able to be at the end and look at the people around me and just be like, I'm okay. Like, I'm, I'm ready to go. You know what I mean? And not just be like, give me the fucking morphine. Kill me now. You know, like, and just <laughs> take me out. I can't deal with it. Um, and, but 
I know religion's never going to be an option for me. I'm too much of a logicalist. I, there's just there's too many holes in it. Not to say that there's... I, I I understand the utility of religion. I get it, but I'm just it just doesn't ever sit with me. Well, I mean, I think it's funny because I've almost gone in a slightly different route than you, a different path. Where you know, I wouldn't say like I was raised with religion, but yeah. there, like, it's always been a peripheral thing. Like my parents tried doing religion for a little bit, different ones, even when I was growing up. Right. And then you know, my aunt's been Catholic ever like her whole life. Yeah. Um, the only one in our family really that's been that way. And Dude, Catholics are tough one, man. <laughs> Militant. <laughs> yeah. It's a thing to me though, where in the last few years, you know, like there's been a little bit of a strain from, I would say my perspective, yeah. uh, from me to my parents. And it's mainly cause they found a religion, which is fine. Yeah. And they, I don't want to say they're trying to recruit me, but it's like, well, it's the thing that's going to save us. And, right. you know, like I remember when having a conversation with my dad and, you know, he was telling me basically his, you know, no pun intended, but like the come to Jesus moment sure. was literally watching YouTube videos and his YouTube suggested videos are typically covers, people playing instruments, you know, music videos. like, yeah. And then it's like something about Jesus. Right. And... You know, I kind of want to be like, you know, people can pay to kind of promote something. <laughs> put those like, ads in there. <laughs> like, put those videos if you live in a certain area or yep. whatever. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the the big thing I took away when he was having the conversation with me was just like, you know, I want to be reunited with your brother. And I was like, all right, that's that's the, the core of this is 30, 36 years later, you still haven't, or I guess 34, because... It was yeah. two years younger than me. But 34 years later, you still haven't grieved. You haven't processed the thing, this this traumatic experience. Right. And so now, very much like I've the always The brain felt, reaches out to try to, yeah, and I think, put it And I think, you know, the thing that, you know, from my perspective of a lot of things, like having friends who have been addicts in, in various, you know, substances or whatever, yeah. that, you know, the one thing that a lot of people teach is when you go to recovery is, you know, religion basically is also hand in hand with it. Yeah. And you're essentially yeah, yeah. trading one addiction now for another one but this one's deemed more accepting because it's right. more positive it's it's for the betterment of you and your soul and right. all these other things right, right. and i feel like that's what religion to me is when, as i've gotten older is it's it's not it it's good in theory if it gives you hope or gives you something right. if you don't have any that's if you don't I mean. have that thing yeah. in you to go it's not going to be all shit or whatever right. like to find your own meaning that's what i mean when i say i i i like the utility yes. of like that's why i mean it's like it's not a bad thing no. lots of bad things have been done in the name of religion but oh, yeah. the utility the, the core good of the utility of religion is a great thing yeah yeah but unfortunately i feel like the way i've seen it implemented by a lot of people is more it's just a a blanket band-aid to like well, exactly i and exactly. you know even thinking about it beyond that it's like okay very much to your point we're at a point in our lives where i mean shit if this is like even 200 years ago we're pretty much dead oh yeah. we're elder statesmen yeah we would be elder age. statesmen yeah yeah um, which is crazy thing and not like 100 and, uh, like 500 years ago we're talking like three or maybe like yeah 200 years ago yeah. we would be old men 40 uh, years old man. and so when i have been thinking a lot about life through the perspective of you know, our culture here in America is to don't hang on to things. Don't keep a legacy alive of anything. Destroy yeah. it. Rebuild it in the new image of whatever is going to be the hot new thing. Right. And so it's the concept of religion to me when I think about it is I can break it down even further into, you know, monogamy. The more I think about it, I don't think it I don't think marriage and monogamy are really meant to endure as long as we have. 
I think it speaks the, to the character of everyone yes. that's able to maintain a 40, 50, 60 year marriage. Yeah. However, I see so many people shaming other people for like not sticking it out or in my day we did this and it's like right. yeah in your day you you're telling me you'd rather sit there and be miserable for your rest of your fucking life yeah that's what you would rather yeah just because you don't want to be embarrassed by going through a divorce and then even now to like a different degree you know speaking to monogamy it's like you know the whole point of marriage till death do you part okay right. well if we're getting married at 13 and i'm only gonna live to be 26 <laughs> the rest of my life's not that long right exactly so death you part now it's like you gotta use someone with 65 70 years and, and yeah it's i mean like, to kind of full circle it just in this conversation i'm not the same person i was five years ago no. so how do you expect and this is where you're supposed to communicate and grow and that's right. that's where the the idea of marriage is a long-term thing i get but yeah i when i start deconstructing a lot of the societal norms and a lot of the things that people put in place to be the pillars of their life and give them comfort I tear them down and go, why? Yeah. And I think the other thing that has allowed me to do that and find my own peace is very much like yourself. And I'm actually, I'm not going to say this because it puts your shit out there and I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, so I'll speak for myself only. Um, my wife and I don't want kids. Yeah. And in the last couple of years, you know, when a lot of people are like, gotta do better than the people before us. And, you know, you gotta like generational wealth now that we know that that's a thing and, and right. you know, all these kind of things. I see people, and I don't want to call it a rat race, but I see people living this life, and I don't feel like they're living their lives. They're having to live the lives for the next person. yeah. And even for our parents and so forth. And I'm like, fuck, that's that's so much stress that I don't want. And the more that I'm like, I don't want a kid. And now I don't have, like, and then to the point where other than living my life and being a good person Mm -hmm. and doing what I want to do or what my wife and I want to do, when that's it, when we're done, that's it. It's it. And it's like such a burden. Yeah. Taken off of Taken off your shoulders. Yeah, And absolutely. it's one of those like where I feel like the more, like I said, when I start deconstructing things that are supposed to be the things we want as, as people, as men, you want to reproduce. Right, right, right. And then adversely putting it into a different prism of looking at my dad. Okay. I don't want kids. So as soon as I'm gone, his legacy is gone. Yeah. Okay. Now add to the fact of he's already had a child die yeah and then now let's go one step further he's getting closer to his own mortality yes so literally now like now i can understand why you would the idea of religion would come in well it takes care of the the son i don't have and and i'll be reunited and i'll live forever after this you said the perfect thing it's the band-aid effect where it's like there's no really good justification on what's going to happen to us but when you put that it makes every problem seem yes well it it doesn't go away it gives it a a good well, it gives it a yeah, it gives it a a, a um a uh, almost like well, for lack of a better phrase, like a fairy tale ending. Yeah. Where it's like, no, oh, no, no, you didn't lose your brother. He's just gone right now. Yeah. And then when you die, you guys are gonna like go skip off into the fucking sunset somewhere, wherever it goes. And I'm just, I, I just, I can't buy it. But again, I also am like, I I don't like saying like, okay, so like, it's purpose the thing where when someone says, you know, uh, like when a, when a staunch is, he goes like, there's nothingness after this. I'm like, okay, then why do anything? Why, why, why do anything? Yeah. Like, then there's no real recourse. I mean, obviously, like, you're alive. You can do things, but there's no merit or loss. Like, why aren't you robbing people? Why aren't you, you know what I mean? You can do anything you want. And, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying that atheism, like, um, 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 refetits, uh morality, but it's like your 
moral compass, I guess, is not withstanding to any type of afterlife punishment. So you can do anything you want um, because you don't believe that there's any recourse after you die. So, um, but I also, I, I started to hate that. I started to be like, oh, like, oh, nothing happens after I die. I'm like, okay. And then someone's like, well, I think it's heaven. And I'm like, well, I think it's re- reincarnation. I'm like, like, you guys, like, the only thing we can truly say is that there's a handful of realities that we see every day. And then it really is just, we don't know, yeah. you know, and I always say like my favorite thing, if you put it on my tombstone, the most ignorant thing a human being can say is I know, yeah. you know, like you can say, I believe this. You can say, I have faith in this. You can say, I have even evidence that suggests this, but you don't know why. And again, back to that, like 32 degrees Fahrenheit, it's like you we're observing the things that are happening in life. And I go like, but we really don't know why they're happening or how, um, or well, I guess maybe a little how, but, and so that's where my destabilization I feel is a little bit. And again, but it's weird because I'm not anxious about it. I'm not nervous about it. It's just. I, I, As an inquisitive person, you want there to be something, something, you know? And, and again, like the whole, like, poking holes in religion, like that was almost like a distraction where it's like, I know that's bullshit. But then I go to me and I go, okay, well, what's your bullshit? And I go, well, I don't have any. And they go like, well, sucks to be you, man. Where's your peace of mind? I go, I don't have a peace of mind. They go, well, you're going to die too. So when you get there, you're going to have some fucking shit to say. I'll be like, no, I'm going to fucking scream and freak out. So I've been just trying to find some some, uh, semblance of a direction that I need to go. But I got nothing. I I still don't have anything, you know. And, And my wife is so like cavalier about it too she's just she'll say to me she's like well you'll know when you get there age thing though i think that's a little bit of yeah age she's 33 and us. i'm 40 so it's like i'm like yeah I, I didn't really hit me in my early 30s like my late 30s is when it's really started to like like it's almost like just this started creeping in the back of my mind being like yeah like you, you've never really believed in religion it's like oh so what do you got I'm like i don't know and they go like well it's your dad's getting older he's into how are you going to deal with that because when you the way you're thinking about it when he's dead that's it, man. He's gone. You're never going to see your father's voice, face again. And I'm like, wow, that's, that, that seems scary. But again, exactly what you're talking about. Your father and a lot of people will use religion as this kind of like pull you out of the sinkhole. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. You're going to see him. And it's like, but we don't know that. I just. Uh. And like what's weird of that even is like, because again, like sort of going back to like my hang up with therapy of like thinking things you know Mm -hmm. because i I, the house i kind of was raised up in is more of like a you better have a good comeback or be able to keep something intellectual jousting yeah Yeah. yeah, yeah. and so like to the point where when it kind of came to like um getting the vaccine that was an issue yeah and i'm not saying like my parents are anti-vaxxers but right with this one there's a little bit of trepidation and and i get it but i also there's a lot of misinformation around there like totally and you know like one of his things is like well we don't know what's in it and it's like like my wife literally works for a company where they made one of the <laughs> three and she's like we know exactly what's in it right um and things like that but it's it was like one of those things where like speaking back to my aunt i called her because i was like you were, you're a nurse. You work in the medical field. You're also the only religious person I know that's grown up in a religion your whole fucking life. Right. Was there any inner struggle between those two things, your profession and your, your personal beliefs, right. to not do this? And she was like, no, absolutely not. And I go, okay. And, like, that's now a little, like, extra, like, thing in my holster of things when I go to have this conversation with my dad where I'm like, okay, blah, 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 blah. Your here's, here's, my, here's my, my counter argument to you, right. and you can't negate it because these are facts. 
Yeah. And that was something that I've learned to deal with too is presenting facts. Things yeah. you not leading with I think I believe. Right. And it's it's so weird that therapy when you're going through it teaches you to deal in in uh, actualities. Yeah, and absolutes. Think, yeah, absolutes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutes, yeah. And it's like when you start using that with religion, you're like, oh, no, yeah. you can't. Like, yes or no. D- yeah. Did this happen? Well, I don't know. Well, then, okay, now let's tackle it from that perspective. And, like, you know, something that in some of my conversations that I've been thinking a lot about over the last, like, probably two, three weeks is the the sentence my dad had asked me. And a lot of times, like, couple months before that my dad always is good for one thing i'll latch on to and just really think about right right so before that it was you know i was watching one of your episodes or something like that and i saw like you know it had a couple thousand views on youtube and then i was like holy shit like thousands of people are listening to this conversation my kid's having yeah and then he was like do you ever think about that what are you gonna do with your platform and i was like i don't have a fucking platform right and i, I and to me it doesn't feel like a platform right and so then for a while, I, I sat on that for a little bit. I was like, okay, maybe instead of hammering, you know, making fun of Scott Stapp for not coming on the show because he's, <laughs> he's sober and he doesn't want to come on anything that could, in theory, jeopardize his sobriety. Shut I was up. like, maybe I need to be a little bit bigger of a person and maybe go, you know, maybe there are people who are struggling with this and having famous people on who they would will value their opinion a little bit more than like you or I. Right, right. Maybe I should do the opposite and give them a platform to talk about yeah man i used to party all the time here's a fun story but right. then there was this moment and here's the turning point for me and then right. i turned my life around and now i have all these other things instead of throwing all my money away or having like almost dying right now i have a marriage i have a family i have a successful career i have all these things right, right. that i need to show the other side of that yeah and so that was something i really latched onto for a couple of months and put it into this. The other thing that I've been thinking about that he said was, he was like, you know, don't you want to be reunited with your brother? And I thought about it. That's such an a, arbitrary question. That's, that's like being like, you know, it's like, well, do you want to have the ice cream? You go like, well, yeah. It's like, oh, but I'm diabetic, so I, I shouldn't. You know, it's like, it's like this arbitrary, like, do you want to be like, fuck yeah, I want to see him. But it's come funny, on, like, though, because, the, you know, one thing I keep coming back to, and I've applied it to friendships, I've applied it to a lot of different things where it's like, okay, let's really break that down. Like I said, my brother died when I was two. He was only three or four months old. Mm -hmm. I have no memories of this person. Right. The person didn't grow to be anything other than a baby. Right. So let's presume that in your idea of heaven, this person has grown all along. Right. I'm going to meet a... A stranger. A stranger who I know nothing about. Yeah. It's the same when they say, like, you're going to reunite with all your family. Like, oh... I've never met my great grandfather, my great great grandmother, grandma. I was like, what am I going to say to them? And they go, hey, Christopher. And they like, go, I don't know you, dude. Like, or they're like, oh, but when you go there, all of their memories. I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. I really don't and think that's going to so happen. So there's, there's things like that, like where, again, like you start breaking things down. And then I go, it's, it's wishful no, thinking. It's no yeah. different than if I were to have gone to middle school with someone, and, and thanks to yearbooks and stuff like that, we can go back and be like, oh, man, this person was like my best friend. Right. I haven't seen them in 32 years. Yep. I don't know what's going on with them. And they're not probably like, and they're probably not the same person. Yeah. Like we have ways and tools to reach out to each other. And I've done that. Like I reached out to an old high school or an old elementary middle, like one of my first best friends. Yeah. Reached out to him on Facebook. I was like, Hey, just, you know, cause you didn't have a photo. Just, is this you? Yeah. He's like, yep, it's me. And then I like, and I like wrote a whole thing of like, Hey man, like I'm so-and-so and and da da da. Like kind of laid it out there. And all I got back was like from, 
like paragraphs of stuff yeah. just to make sure like he knew who it was if he could remember he's like yeah it's me and I was like cool never mind fuck it then yeah. I, I, I don't care <laughs> right um, but I feel like that's the thing and what's so interestingly enough um, yesterday we started to watch uh, the last season of Atypical mm. which is on Netflix uh, do you know anything about that show I haven't watched it okay so <laughs> it's real funny speaking of dichotomy of people um, so it centers around this character and he is uh, on the spectrum I think he's autistic um, but he's like smart with a lot of other stuff all this you know and and then in real life he actually fronts like death metal bands and shit oh, okay. uh, it's really interesting like just cross section of things but in it so in the last season um, the character got in trouble for missing an assignment in college hmm. it's like freshman year of college and so he go and the teacher who is uh, uh, Darlene from uh, Roseanne Oh, uh, uh, I can't remember Sarah the actress name. Yeah, yeah, there it is. There it is. Um, and so she made him interview people and ask a bunch of questions. And in it, though, he he has to ask them what are they a master at. And it made me think about how we often tell ourselves we can't be a master at anything. Right. What's the old saying? Jack of all trades, master of none. Right. And how it's like, you know, I've been thinking, does that, is that a generational phrase that we're getting away from because we realize that you can't be perfect at things yeah. and setting more realistic expectations for ourselves, for our yeah. better own mental health and, and physical well-being? Or is it just something where we've gotten lazy and, and the pursuit of perfection or mastering something isn't something we're passionate about anymore like we used to be? Yeah. Um, God, that is a bro- that's a huge And that's question. why I had to write it down when I was thinking of it yesterday because I was like, oh, I'm sure we're going to somehow find a way to get to something that's close to that. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, I always think like whatever craft you've put yourself into, if it's a historical or a long-term craft, like, you know, tattooing and stuff like that, you're never going to be, or rather you should never claim that you are – Anywhere near in the capacity. Oh, you're not an ink master? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I would say this is that I, I would tell people, like, when people say, like, oh, are you a tattoo artist? I go, like, I try to be. You know, I was, I, I, that's always my, ref, that's always my answer. It's like, I was like, my wife always goes, ugh. So I go, you kind of sound elitist when you say that. I go, no. And like, elitist would be like, uh huh, yeah, I am. It's all like, look me up. You know what I mean? Like, that'd be elitist. What I'm saying to them, it's like, I'm trying. Like, I'm really trying to be. Like, now, do I think, that, you know, I'm not an adept, like, or proficient in my craft. Oh, absolutely. I know I am. I'm very proficient. But I would never use the word master. But to your question, you know, I think there's, you and me are the last generation of where we are uninhibited. We, we remember a time with no internet. So we were at time, there was a whole part of our childhood, all up into our teens, where we were uninhibited by multiple freaking flashes of distractions and like, you should do this, you should do that. Like, here's, like, it's, a, it's the saddest thing because we have more information available to us than any time ever in human history. And we have this younger generation that is the most uninspired, the most unambitious, the most unpassionate generation I've ever seen in my life. I have these 19, 18 year old kids and they're like, what do you want to do? I don't know. Well, what are you interested in? I like, I like to go on my, I like to go to Facebook and scroll. 
I, 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 I kind of like video games. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'll do the video game. No. Well, what do you want to do with your – and I know it's brutal because I feel there is an unfair pressure that – I mean because you remember when we were kids like, oh, SATs are coming up. ACTs are coming up. It's only the rest of your life, motherfucker. And you're like, oh, God. Like you're like, what do you want? You're, you're 17. What do you want to do with your life? And you're like, holy shit. Take it easy. But at least at that time, there wasn't – these this bombardment of like YouTube videos and online things that just showed these people doing these grand lives, these grand things, and it makes you feel like shit sometimes about yourself. You're like, I'm never gonna do that, never gonna be that. So what's the point? So again, rolling back to your question, I do believe that I, I think there are people who are masters of something, but they would never say it either. I think they're the ones that they just do. And they keep doing, and then people just start to be like, look, look what this person is doing. And I've always noticed the most, the, the toughest guy in the room is the most passive, the most humble, the smartest guy in the room doesn't exert his intelligence or tell somebody they're stupid or why they're wrong. And it tends to be the person that's the master of their craft just puts their head down even further and buries himself in their work because that's what makes them truly satisfied. That cup gets filled by not the validation of everyone around them by their own, but their own unique um, satisfaction that they're doing it, you know? But again, I do the same thing. Like I tell people all the time, like I don't go to conventions to make money or to do this or whatever. I go there to get inspired. I like watching, you know, other tattooers and stuff like that that blow me out of the water. Mm-hmm. You know, I love it I, because it makes me go, okay, I'm like, I, like you can usually put yourself in a tier and you kind of know where you stand a little bit. And your personal tier, not like a, a real tier, but your own personal tier. And you can look at someone and go, they're better than me. Why are they better than me? And not in a competitive way. I just want to see... Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, so it's just one of those things, you know. His dog is being a pain in the ass. He's a puppy. She's a puppy? He's a puppy? I don't know. Could be a boy or a girl. It's a good dog. It's just uh, making him run around. <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> yeah. It's funny, again, thinking of something else that has paralleled, you know, since of this really terrible segue into something that wasn't as deep or profound, but, no, you know, I was walking her and ended up having to, like, pick up her dog shit, and I was like, you know, I bet this is something Chris probably wouldn't have thought he would be doing <laughs> at a certain Dude. point, is just picking up dog shit, and then oh, somehow still, like, even being... I called my wife out on that shit. I said, like, this is you, like, because my wife and I don't want children either, but I said, like, this is you needing babies. This is it. This is your maternity kicking in. You're 33. Your fucking uterus is screaming at your ovaries, like, let's make it happen! And it's like, but then you knew that wasn't what you wanted, so then you get a dog. And literally, dude, she snuggles that dog every night every night and yeah and don't get me wrong she she's been really good on her um end of the responsibilities of like cleaning up dog shit but i still end up you know feeding the dog every morning and taking him for walks and super well, i mean shit like too, a kid it's, it's a joint thing it's a joint thing yeah i mean I, I i don't really it's funny like i feel like sometimes you and i like in the pain train sessions that you'll give me uh <laughs> and it's just the two of us in your studio you know and we're, we're talking about our life experiences and, and some of the things because you know I've been with Bridget since, like, you've known me, basically. I think there's maybe a couple of years before. Yeah. Um, but most of our time of knowing each other, I've always been with her. Sure. Um, and you knew the guy she dated before me. Yep. And so it, it's kind of an interesting, weird relationship we have with that, with each other. Yeah. And 
you know, in the last, you know, couple of years now, because, you know, you've been married, you've been with Kristen for a couple of years, you know, we've been able to explore a different part of our friendship, which is now talking about marriage right. and talking about that side of things. And I think, you know, I think you're one of the few people that when I've talked about things, you and I are very, very similar where it's almost like the no ma'am club or whatever, where it's like, you know, we'll, 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 we'll have our grievances where it's like, uh, Bridget squeezes the toothpaste just from the fucking middle and I hate it. Like, just grab it from the end because then there gets to a point where you've squeezed right. it so much you can't fucking work it like that. And right. then you're Kristen like, won't shut any doors. She'll go into the kitchen and she'll pull things out and she just leaves the door. I'm like, just fuck, close it. And she's like, what? And like, yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, there are annoyances that we have that it's just like, why, why do you do this? Like, and it's anybody. I mean, it. Oh friend, yeah, friends it's and people. all that kind of. Yeah, it's I always people. say it's from like, oh, just remove the husband, wife, yeah. like, or boyfriend, girlfriend. It's people. Like, I, I would say, I could replace you with anybody. And if you did this shit, I'd still be like, dude, yeah. like, what are you doing? But I think the thing that's always been interesting in us, you know, airing our grievances of sorts, our festivists for our only ourselves yeah. of, of being married and some of the things, is that we always also take ownership of our own shit. Dude, that is straight up. I said that. I said this to a young person, and I said, "Do you want to know what really makes, you know, a, like not only? I mean, there, there, there's the usual components of a, of a successful relationship, but I said the greatest thing that you can do that makes you a better partner, makes you grow. Know your shit. Know your yeah. faults. Know what you bring to the table in a, not say a negative way, but something that's gonna, you know, is gonna annoy the fuck out of most people. And if you can." mitigate that and make it so you're aware and you try to solve like my favorite thing is like i was very much where i still am but i've, <laughs> I've gotten better at it but i'm very I'm, I'm sometimes where if i say something to somebody i expect them to understand what the hell i just said and then if they're they, they keep doing it and then i repeat it all in the same like conversation by the third time i'm like what the fuck am i not saying to you that you're not getting this and it's not good because then my frustration gets the better of me and then that person feels attack so then they feel on the defense so and my wife is very like a type personality and she'll just she'll give it right back to me so i found a way where i just will stop and i go what did you just take from that? You know what I mean? Right. And then they'll, and they'll just do the whole like, oh, okay, I see. You, you mean this and this and this? I go, yes. Or if they say, well, this is what you meant. I go, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. This is how I said it. You know. And so I, I found a way to just kind of take a breath for a second and go, okay, I just said that. What did you get from that? You know, Or, 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 or when they're, they, they want to bait you sometimes or it's like you know, like they're like, oh, so what did you mean by that? Sometimes I just want to say exactly what I meant. I go, oh, fucking – meant that you're a slob it's like but you don't want to say you're a slob you just go i think sometimes that you get into your own other thoughts around the table and then little things that you could take care of in that moment you throw to the wayside and then and i always called it pieces of keys like that's my wife's you know uh maiden name and so she would do this thing and she doesn't do it much anymore. It's great. But she would literally come home. She would throw her jacket on the kitchen table. Yep, exactly. And then throw her keys here and then throw her shoes down there and then take her top off. And I'm just like, Kristen, I freaking. And so what I did is I built her a closet down in the basement and uh, which is where it was before. But I built it out in this big basement. I said, okay, little rule. And she hates when I talk about this. She's like, you're fucking dadding me. I'm like, I'm not dadding you. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to create a reasonable thing here for us. Yeah. And so I go, I'm like that closet you can have as messy thrown around. Things can be on the floor. That's your room. You can do whatever you want with that. 
But you need to take all that stuff that you put out in the common wealth of our house in that room as much as you can possibly help. I know you're not going to be perfect on it. I go, but try. And she's been great about it. She really has. And that it took a little trying and reminding. Um, but yeah, and then the same thing with her is that I actually used to use the word retarded mm-hmm. all the time. All the time. And like, but I never meant it in like that type of right. connotation. But I would say like, and I'm like, oh, well, that's fucking retarded. And she was like, stop saying that. I do not like that word. And so I stopped. I really don't. And actually because I was so, I'm around her so much, it just kind of like got slipped out of my vernacular. I just don't say it anymore. And it's weird when people say it now because I hear my wife in my fucking head be like, like when someone's like, oh, it's retarded, I go, don't say that around my wife. Don't. She doesn't like that. Well, I was <laughs> like, going to say, I mean, <laughs> even to that, like, it reminds me of, like, growing up around my grandmother. Yeah. She was one of the first proponent, proponents that I had ever seen growing up as a kid where you don't address people by gender. Like, when we wow. go to a restaurant and it'd be her and That's my mom really and my, my dad her. and I. Yeah. And, you know, server just out of habit would be like, how are you guys doing? She goes, well, I don't know about the guys, but us ladies... And, she, and like there'd be times where people just wouldn't pick up on it. Mm. And so it's always, when I became a server, I always address people, how are you all doing? Yep. Or, you know, if I'm addressing someone by... Yeah. Hi, know, y'all. Indivi- yeah. Yeah, or Hi individually y'all. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's funny because running into a mutual friend the other day uh, at a gas station and... and uh, said retarded and i was like oh god and like i kind of i think i i think i even felt like i flinched because i was right, like ah, not yeah. used to hearing it in everyday vocabulary anymore same sort of like you know oh that's gay yeah, exactly like, i was just like, gonna say i don't like, gay i don't or, hear yeah. that anymore yeah and it's or even like f- like fag you know what i mean like that was a big one too back when we were like you know it's funny because uh having just done an 18 visions episode on discography discussion and having talked about James and I doing an interview a couple years ago where he was like, oh, because we were talking about the legacy, or I was more talking about the legacy of the band and, and how integral they were in early metalcore. And even with them being so fashion forward leaning that they influenced a lot of like the emo screamo bands. Sure. Uh, but never really got their just due. And I was like, you know, there's, you know, James on record telling me he was like, because I asked him what it was like going to the East Coast for the first time and, and essentially you know, East Coast had its own hardcore scene, you know, going oh, yeah. on, and the West Coast had their thing, and yeah, yeah, yeah. their, you know, whatever, and, like, what was it like the first time going over, and he goes, oh, it was weird, because, you know, I would go over there, and because we had guyliner and wore, like, nice clothes, everyone called us fags, and he goes, but then we'd go back the next, the next time, and everyone starts looking like us, mm-hmm. and then, so it was, like, one of those, like, I've told that story quite a bit, and it's like, okay, so the, the, the retelling of what he was telling me has kind of brought that word back a couple of times recently. Right. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, that sucks. I, I, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's interesting that like, I don't think it's hard to, to grow as a person and, and grow with the times a little bit. Like, yeah. like it's so hard. And I'm like, yeah, like my mind definitely, I, I think one of my best friends put it the best. Cause like I sent him something and I was like, why, why does my mind just go to like, sometimes these like gallows esque humor things so quickly yeah. as like my default. And he goes, cause we try to find and squeeze something funny out of everything. Yeah. Because that was just we, the way we, because worked. we didn't have the internet. We didn't have all these things. So you just had to try to create something right. that you all could pull from. Exactly. Which is funny because like I was just telling someone the other day I was like cuz I I'm not on Twitch yet. I still want to figure it out, but I'm just tech stupid. <laughs> and uh but I've been interacting with a lot of different people that I know that are doing it. Yeah. And it's funny because like I feel like because you have to react to something that's happening right right then. Right. So like to hurry up and type up a joke like as soon as it comes to you and oh okay, here's how I need to like get right. it. And like a lot of people have been like, man, like these jokes are like this joke's really fucking funny, or this, that, or yeah. the other. 
it's it's a weird time that we live in, man, where I mean, I even said this now, like, you know, I'm I'm still unapologetically who I am, but I've I've even done this where, you know, my favorite thing, like when a woman would walk in, you know, I would say, Hey gal, how are you? And I started to be like where if it was a, especially like a new client, I would just be like, if I said like, you know, like, hey, gal, like, or like, oh, good job, gal, you did a good session. I'll, I'll stop. And I go like, hey, is that cool? Like, if I say that, I'm like, if you don't want me, I'll just call you by your name. And, you know, most of them are like, you know, that's fine. It's like, but it's weird that we, we live in a time now where dialogue is very particular and you actually and, and, and not even so much particular but that you want to make sure that how you're delivering that you're not inadvertently like off-putting someone you but know the weird thing about that and, and not to cut you off no but the no. weird thing about that is think about this though our actual day-to-day talking conversating with people sure is that such a minimum yeah that i feel like now you have to be more cognizant of what you're saying because your interactions with people in person are so fine, especially after this last 16 months. Oh, for sure. And yeah. most of your interactions are over yeah. a computer or a device where your tone is completely lost. So it's like, oh, yeah. it's funny. Like, I've been wondering if that's been where a lot of the breakdown is happening and a lot of the vernacular where people are just like creating safe spaces and people who aren't used to having to articulate themselves in a very like concise way are the ones that are having the problems. Cause they're like, Oh, I can just be like, Oh, you know, you're gay. Yeah. And it's like, am I, am I, why? Why? Yeah. Like, and then you start like, and then as you get older, you're just like, why, why was that? I think we said like, yeah. because it, as you were saying, I don't mean it the way that like the actual word is intended. Right. So how did it ever get the connotation into that in the first place? Exactly. Which, as a person who loves language and, and word, I think sometimes before I go to bed, and this is why I would always have problems sleeping, because I would just like think about a word, like shit. Yeah. I love thinking about like that, where it's like, who used it? Right. Who was the first person to be like, ah, shit. Right. And then, like, can you imagine like the first person's like, what's that? And like, oh, well, like, Something bad happened. Shit. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. I mean, stepping shit. Right. Ah. Or how like a, a one word can be a multivariate use. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like you can say fuck as in like a ow, oh, yeah. or you can say it's fuck. Yeah, exactly. Like you that that word you can use in so many different lights. Yeah, I um my probably one of my I mean, obviously my favorite word is fuck, but like I really, really enjoy the idea of you know words don't necessarily have to be ah, god i'm gonna say this wrong but uh in intention intention of words is 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 really what i find to be you know uh the, the most productive is that your intention now that doesn't like absolve or excuse anybody for using a word out of character i guess out but i turn. yeah out of turn <laughs> right but like when i see an old man you know, and, and again, I'm, I'm not excusing it, but when I see an old man and they're just saying like, oh, that guy Jewed me, you know, I'm like, that is, that is very much the word where I'm like, okay, okay, we don't, we don't say that anymore. Um, you know, but I'm also like, pick your battles on that because the dude's fucking 80. He's not, you're not going to change the way he does it. So it's like, I always say it's like, I, I, and again, like, again, our generation is like, yours, my generation is great because we're almost the bridge in between it all, we're old enough to know when we use those words, and then the woke culture of like the young nineteen-year-olds are like, no, 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 we don't talk like that. We don't. No, I'm sure there's some that are like, fuck it, I don't care. But for the most part, I, I just say this: like, 
I just have never, like being a person that was bullied when I was younger, I just didn't want to make people feel uncomfortable as much as I possibly can. Now, here's the thing. I tell people this right before any new client, right when I sit them down, I said like, yeah, so what do you do in this and that? And they'll, they'll tell me about their jobs. And I go like, P.S., just so you know, I say a lot of fucked up things. And I don't mean like fucked up words, but I'll make lewd jokes. Like I swear a lot. So at any point, if you're ever uncomfortable with anything I'm saying, don't feel like you have to be quiet. Just say, hey, I don't really want to talk about this or I didn't like that. Be like, okay, yeah, no worries. Like I'm very easy at just making you feel as comfortable as you want to be because that's that's really what I care about is making feel feel comfortable. Unless we literally are having a engaging conversation where I'm like, okay, well now my, I don't care about your feelings and I'm just going to tell you exactly what I think about what you're talking about right now. You know? Well, even to that, do you feel like your profession has kind of helped you grow as a person as far oh, yeah. as dealing with people? I mean, we talked about how like you're essentially a cut rate therapist and a little bit of a in customer service, but yeah, I think even, you know, as you, you and I've been talking during this thinking about, I don't want to say you have to tailor you to the client, but I definitely feel like because what you do brings in all types of different people. Oh, all different walks of life for sure. I feel like you more than anybody else would probably have more insight into how things have been changing. Like you can see the old and the new. 100%. And it's it's crazy because, you know, I have, when I mean every walk of life, I mean, I have trans clients, male, female, gay, straight, uh, old, young. I mean, every walk of life you can possibly think of. But the one thing, you know, that I think that I'm very proud of myself is that with all this stuff with like many women coming forward about male tattooers and all this inappropriateness, I am so happy that I've conducted myself, you know, in a professional manner. And like I said, I make really lewd jokes, like I'll say inappropriate things, but never at the expense of the person I'm talking to or never physical, none of that type of stuff. And I've very, very much a point. And I also check in with said person, especially if I get that vibe from them that they're uh, maybe more sensitive or like they have kind of like a different like um, outlook. I just say like, hey, like I had a great session with you today. It's like, was there anything that bothered you? And they, they, they go, no, 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 great, great. And when all that stuff happened, there was actually this thing that started to trend on Instagram where people would put up, I felt safe by these tattooers. Dude, I got tagged in like 150 people's different stories. And I wanted to put them all up, but I couldn't. And I just put up a story. I was like, oh, to all the people that felt safe with me. That makes me, You know what I mean? Like, it's like, and I'm not doing that to be like, haha, Chris, you're a white knight. Like, no, I'm like, I just conducted myself like a fucking human being. And when I felt that, you know, maybe I did say something that I was like, oh, I always checked in. I'd be like, oh, listen, like, was that too much or a lot? And, like, and, and like I said, no one's been like, like. No, it's fine. I'm like, okay, cool. Just making sure. Like, let me know. Like, all is, like, because the worst thing is when someone barrel, I call barrel rolling, where they just start fucking talking and then they're just like, ha 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 ha. And then that person, le- and they look visibly like kind of shaken. They go, like, all right, see you next time. And the person walks out. I'm like, you don't even know how that person felt about all that shit you just said. Like, don't you know, check in with them a little bit. So I, I gotta say, after all that stuff, like, that is something I'm very proud of and back to, you know, your original question or, uh, is like, you know, that perspective that I've gotten from the younger generation and then even people, our generation, now the old generation, I can kind of take the values from all of them, but also, you know, um, in, ingratiate is that the word it is a word yeah ingratiate myself into the now and take those 
good values, but then also kind of push out the ones I'm like, this isn't viable anymore. You know what I mean? Like you can't say that. And yeah, but the only thing I have a problem with, I think is also the, um, you know, people really digging up people's shit from like, I mean, I don't have any, but like, I mean, I, I, I'll fucking dare anybody. Look at any of my stuff. I will say anything. You're the, the most private person. Dude, I'm know. the most private person ever. I mean, but- I, I recanted a part of a story I was going to tell that was a mutual thing <laughs> that even even after like I said it, I was like, well, even me going like, well, I'm not going to speak for you. I basically just did, but I didn't put like the thing I was going to say about yeah. you personally out there because I'm like, I know that's not I've you, so I'm put, not going to. Yeah, I've never put anything out in the ether that I wouldn't say, yeah, I said that. Or if you need me to explain more on why I said it, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll do that. But, you know, I've never um, done anything or put anything out. But, like, when you have, you know, that this cancel culture that's just, like, you know, deep diving on people's Twitter, like, 10 years ago, I'm like, I'm like, God damn, I'm so happy I didn't get into that shit, you know? Because here's the thing. There are some probably some radical things I said in my 20s. Nothing, like, you know, horrifically charged, but the way I thought about religion or the way that I thought about, you know, I mean, I was a hyper liberal. And so I was very, very critical of people. And it's just, and I'm glad that stuff isn't out on the internet and all stuff to see, because I'm sure I'd look back at that. Even if it wasn't horrific for someone to read, I'd be like, geez, Chris, what are you saying, man? Like, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. There's sometimes time hop will pop up and even, I've deleted some, not because, like, the weird thing is, I deleted, like, a fucking lyric from a song. Like, literally a rap song. Really? Oh, like, okay. Like, quoted a rap song, literally, and, like, it was even, like, it's this lyric from this song, um, thank you, from this artist, and this is, you know, and then either an explanation of, like, why I'm feeling that lyric, or maybe sometimes that lyric in and of itself. Right. All I fucking need. Like, right. I just saw, like, yesterday's Time Hop uh, was an Every Time I Die lyric, mm. uh, and it was Pete Wentz on the uh, bonus track off of uh, New Junk Aesthetic, and it's, uh, and it's not, la- or it's women not lack of ambition that keeps good men bedridden. Yeah. And so I posted that, because I-, I just like the song. I just like the lyric. It's an interesting lyric. Some note. And this is something I've actually always wanted to ask you, and I ask it a lot of people, is that when you're singing a rap song and there's an, the N-words in it, do you ever say it out loud when you're singing it? I do too. Yeah. And I've actually done it in clubs with black people around me, and they've never been like, oh, you can't say that. But, it, but it's weird, though, because people have done that in interviews, and they've ostracized them. They go, he, he can't say that. I go, he's quoting. He's not saying the word in yeah. a... He's not taking it out of context. He's literally verbally quoting what is happening in the song. Like, I don't know why that's... I just yeah, bothers it's, me sometimes. Uh, and that's, like, a way bigger issue. I mean, because it's, it's really funny. Like, so I'm not really on discography discussion much anymore just because the schedules just don't really align. Yeah. Um, we're probably going to address that here soonish, and that's why Dan's not really on the show anymore and hasn't been uh, for a couple of months. Yeah. Um, I mean, just life happens. We still talk every single fucking day. This has we, also been such a solo project. Like your your passion yeah. of this has has never been matched by anybody else's. And it's not fair. I mean, it's like you know when we merged, and I was like, cool. Like now you're on my thing, and I'm on your thing. Right, but right. then it's like there are times where we're both like, mm, but like we'll secede to the other because it's like, well, I mean that's your thing, and I came onto it. So it's right, like okay. like we at least understand that about the the dynamic. But yeah, um, no, it's it's funny and like like I said this. So like when doing discography discussion and you know we did candiria yeah like obviously anyone who knows me knows like i'm pretty big into rap 
hip hop, R and B, stuff like that. Like that's for right. as much as I love metal and am known as like the token metal dude. Yeah, I probably love that shit more. Oh yeah, honestly, honestly, I think that's probably like those two genres. I would take you on a trivia for that. Like yeah. there, there's some underground hip hop that you talk to me about. I'm like, well, who the hell are you talking about? Well, I mean, you know? so like, case in point, and then I'll circle back to finishing this one. So like the uh, about a month and a half ago, someone on Twitter was like, "Hey man, like uh, I feel like you've been you're really into like all kinds of different stuff. Like what have you been listening to that's new?" And I go, "You know, honestly, because like I'm having to do this sometimes, having to listen to a record or going back through and listening to a discography of someone yeah, I, I peripherally know. Yeah, I hate listening to music now because I'm like, uh, it just feels like a chore. Like I have to find my way work, through it. Yeah, I'd rather hear the stories." I'd rather hear, and that's why I've always loved the behind the scenes. That's why I was like reading the books that are like kind of behind you and all that kind of stuff. Or another in my my office, never mind. Um, but it, it's one of those like where I was like, I am more since I grew up on music that wasn't of my generation, like yeah. my parents' music and stuff, and being into pop music, which basically pop and hip hop yep. borrow so heavily from other people oh, yeah. that a lot of times I tend to go back. So like you know, I was telling someone I was like, honestly, right now I'm in like a really weird rabbit hole of Jay Dilla over the last three years. Mm. Like, I knew who he was. I just didn't really understand, like, the importance of Jay Dilla. And, like, yeah. so record store days would come out and everyone would be like, oh, my God, the new Jay Dilla or remastered donuts, yeah. whatever. Um, what was the first rap lyric that blew your mind? Like, just a couple bars. Like, what was the one rap lyric that... Honestly, it's... Like, you were like, it wasn't holy even, It shit. wasn't even rap. It wasn't presented in rap as a rap song. It was Public Enemy and Anthrax. But my dad, I so it was bring the noise. Yeah. But then it was the lyric, um, uh, radio stations. I question their blackness. They call themselves black. We'll see if they play this. Oh, and that shit. was on like, but like that was that even one's good. on I like, like the, and still goosebumps yeah, because dude. of like how culturally significant that is. Oh yeah. Basically saying you say you fuck with me and my music. Let's see if you'll play this where I'm saying some real shit. Yeah, right. That was, you know, what was mine was um, Wu Tang's War and Peace, and honestly, it it it, it what there wasn't the content the content you're talking about is like like the other I think yeah. side of that, but mine was when you would see these kind of guys taking words and make uh, 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 yeah, and that's, my favorite part is like I bomb atomically Socrates' philosophies and hypotheses. You can't believe in that by dropping these mockeries, lyrically performed arm robbery. I fucking heard that for the first time. I went. Yo, I was like, rewind that. Holy shit. Like, the way the cadence and all those words tied together, I just, I, I couldn't. I, I, it blew my fucking mind. And then, I, actually, I think that was on Triumph. Yes, yeah. Uh, which is on Wu-Tang Forever. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm sorry, War and Peace is Ice Cube. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That um, was the Triumph. There goes the, totally. my knowledge. <laughs> and then, see what I mean? Like, the dude knows more. Um, but, yeah. But yeah, and then even later in that, uh, Rizzo with his line of uh, talking about... Uh, Busting out like raw sex uh, and your cerebral cortex. Yeah. <laughs> what, the fuck? what the fuck? Yeah, um, they were masters yeah. at just. Take, well, it's like the, that's yeah, where the whole like Shaolin like thing, that. like where you're you're better as a whole, not as an individual. Absolutely. Um, but and I think that's the other thing, kind of, that I loved about hip hop too is, unlike a band, I feel like even though someone may become more successful, sure. they always brought like I mean they brought this, them with this them. Is, yeah. This is a somewhat terrible reference, but it's like it's one of the last ones I really can think of where it's like Nelly. Right. Got fucking huge. Yeah. Then he brought the St. Lunatics on all his shit. Then right. like Murph Lee or got Eminem a, with D12. You know, yeah, like he and like, D12 but up. like D12 didn't like quite do the same thing like St. Lunatics did, where it's like okay, like here's the St. Lunatics record with Nelly on it and all that kind of stuff. And then like each one got a fucking solo record from there. Oh, okay. Um, Wu Tang is really one of the few that like it's extensively. 
was a group to start with and then has a group and put out one record together and then put out like 37 (laughs) fucking solos albums and shit like that right uh, between all of them but no like i mean and so that's kind of the weird thing is like so with dilla i knew dilla was important because he's here from detroit so like i felt like as someone who loves hip-hop uh especially production i love production stuff in general um, so for me, I was like, okay, like obviously everyone talks about how important Dilla was and how we wouldn't have, you know, these artists and these artists that say they were influenced by what he did or working with him and so forth. So I really need to like go do my homework. And so it started with listening to this like four, I think there's three or four mixtapes yeah. of his where they're like three and a half hours long. They're almost stream of conscience, like where it's like, here's a beat. And then boom, it goes into another one. Then it goes into another one. Right. Into another one. And so in doing that, you get a real sense of him. You get a sense of what he was doing. You can start seeing, like, oh, this is, like, his style. This is what he does. This is how he finds, like, this sample. It's very lo-fi. It's very, like, lo-fi backpack rap kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, like, sort of, like, Tribe Call Quest a little bit. Uh, like, Dilated People. So, some stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, then once I kind of felt like I had a better understanding of him as a producer doing just beats and making beats and so forth, I then was like, okay, like, let's see... The stuff he's done with other people. So, like, Slum Village from Detroit. Like, they did a record with him. And then, like, they got somebody else. And then they ended up working with Kanye and like, their third record. Which then, like, I know Kanye is a disciple of uh, Dilla being from Chicago. So, real easy similarities there. Right, right. But then it's, like, early Kanye. You're, like, looking at Blueprint. Like, the Jay-Z record. The first one he really did. His first record. Some right. of the other stuff he's working on. You're, like, oh, this is where Kanye's, Kanye's like, lo-fi sample heavy. But instead of, like, we're... I feel like Dilla was more like laid back and chill. Kanye would speed it up and make yeah. it more of like a like more of that chopped and screwed kind of sound to it. Sure. And adding his own little influence to it, which now we're still seeing people ten years later doing shit Kanye was doing on his yeah. second record that's still influential. Who so, started that the, the the mumble rap? Was that like future? So uh Mumble Rap okay, so here's Here's the thing that I I think in doing my... So I always remember that's the first guy I heard here really do it was Future. Like, I mean, technically you could almost say it's like Bushwick Bill from fucking... Uh, yeah. Uh, fuck. Uh, I can't think of them. Uh, mine's always playing tricks on me. Uh, yeah, I can't... Yeah. Can't for, oh, Ghetto Boys. There you go. Uh, you could always say like Bushwick Bill from the Ghetto Boys kind of maybe it was like, cause a little bit because he just... I don't know like I mean he got shot in the face and shit like that right so I mean it's like I don't, I don't know like was that part of why it happened like whatever and then you could even say like did it maybe start with Bismarck a little bit right because his enunciation's kind of weird yeah kind of like a slur a little, yeah slurred, yeah, a slurred yeah. but like I, I think like what's funny like I've been saying this a lot lately is like you know, when everyone's like, oh, I hate, like, this current rap. And I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of it. Bridget's gotten me into a lot more of it than because she's into it. And I think I've given her a healthy dose of, like, where shit came from. Right. Try to. And it's funny. I think I pinpointed the new era of, like, just hook-heavy rap yeah. back to 3-6 Mafia. Oh, okay. Because, I mean, like, you look at a song now and it's like, what, what is the fucking song? I don't know. It's It's, you know... Wet ass pussy, right, like, right, and that's right. like it's I mean, more the beat than it is the it's, content. It's a, yeah, it's yeah. a beat and a hook ad yeah. nauseum. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. like when you think back to Three Six Mafia, that's all they fucking did. Yeah. That's all Juicy J did. Because when you hear like knob on my knob, yeah, like when, corn on the cob, right. and then it's like, right. dun, dun, and like, and it's like, it's very like. I don't want to say it's dumbed down rap, but it's like so on the fucking beat. It's right. not like Nas. Like Nas is like, a content rapper. He just he'll he's he's trying to say something. You know, when they say there's not musicality to rap, is like you know one of my favorite points other than the roots clearly is to say look at Nas look at one mic yeah. so 
What I love about that song, when you really break it down from a production and a song perspective, yeah. is so Nas on the verses gets really loud. Like it, it, the music and his cadence start getting more aggressive and louder. Right. And then it comes back, all I need is one mic. And then it right. gets real quiet. Right, right. Then when he gets to the bridge, it reverses. Right. So it goes quiet and then he gets louder. Right. And it's crazy to see like just a little a little nuance like that yeah and it's like oh that's that's what to me separates the greats like when you're able to like just do weird shit like that like peripherally you're like surface level you look at it you're like oh it's a great song yeah but like when you really just start listening to it over and over or like you're saying like where you're like hearing lyrics or or a lyric you didn't hear and you're like oh fuck yeah or maybe it hits you differently because that's like you said, like relevance, like socially relevant, and it was before its time almost, yeah. and that's yeah. And so to me, like that's kind of the crazy thing. And then when you start getting into territories of east, west, you know, southern, all this kind of stuff, even you know, you look at something as much as people don't say it's hip hop, but I think you look at a band like uh, um, why am I blanking on their name? Uh, the I think you're freaky people. Oh. uh... I can think of it as Doom, <laughs> Danger Mouse. That's not it. Yeah. Um, God, they, what is the name of that fucking band? It's <laughs> such an like it. I mean, to me, it's annoying. But like, yeah. um, and as soon as I see it, I'm gonna be like, oh yeah, that die N word. Oh, okay. word. But I mean, it's like what they're doing is like weird because it's like taking sort of rap through the like European kind of EDM scene sort of, and just yeah. flipping weird influences on itself. And you're just like, yeah, all right. Like interesting. Wouldn't have thought that. And it's like, it's, but it's not hip hop solely. It's a, an amalgamation of things and kind of bringing it back to like when on discography discussion and talking about Candiria, it's like, you know, I love that Candiria can be a just fucking straight ahead math core band like Dillinger. Yeah. Like just weird jazzy shit. Play legitimately jazz in the middle of a fucking record. And then Carly brings out other MCs and they have a legit hip hop song in the middle of this hardcore record. Right. And it's like to me, that's because they live in New York and they're bringing all the influences of New York. Right. Out. Which is the Mecca for like influences for sure. And so to me, like that's. That's where when I get into music, like I, I feel like because since I have a love of pop and hip hop and stuff, and it samples so much from something twenty years ago or whatever, and finds a new way to reimagine it. Right. That's why I think I like that more than traditional hardcore or metal or rock or whatever, because it's like, who's really doing anything that's really got you like interested? Like to me, like for as much as everyone shits on Post Malone. I'm like, at least the dude's doing interesting shit. Right, he's doing something different. Yeah, yeah he like incorporates a lot of different styles. Yeah. May not be into it. He's like kind of doing emo stuff. Same with Juice World before yeah. he passed away. Kind of a little like, country-ish. And like, there's in like there a simple, like, he yeah. did full-on country songs. Yeah, yeah, on yeah. YouTube. And I was like, God damn, is there anything this motherfucker can't do? Yeah. Like, and it's just his love of all music. Yeah, and he's. Be- a, yeah, you're absolutely. Right. I think that's the the, the point you're to make is that he is a true like like m- musical appreciator that just actually became a musician you know you can see it's almost like the same way like like um kevin smith he was a total film nerd before he became a director but you can see that quentin tarantino same thing it's like they were lovers different capacities yeah well yeah yeah different levels we'll say of language and the other loved film right right so 
but but it's still like you can see the pa- like the, the they were nerds first before they were activists in their field, you know, and that's what I love about it. And you can see that with musicians too, where it's like they were the guys that were screaming the loudest in the crowd before they were even up on that stage, you know what I mean? And I think that's what Post Malone was is that he just loved it so much and then was like, I have to do this. Well, on top of that, he's tried out for a, I forget what the band it was, but he tried out for a metalcore band playing guitar. Yeah, and then they're like, mm, mm, mm. yeah, and then like no, a few no. years later, now he's. Became Post Malone, and it's like, you know, I talk all the time on this podcast about pivoting when something isn't like when you're if you're passionate about something, but maybe you find that the thing you're doing isn't working, right? You'll pivot, yep. So, like, so it's the same, yeah. So, it's like, I love music, different. I tried doing the band thing, I I love, I still love playing guitar, but like, I just I don't have that creative side to me to like write something because I listen to so much music that I go, oh, it sounds like this, it sounds like this, sounds like this, and then now trying to find three, four other people to get with, coordinate schedules, try not to fight about dumb shit. And <laughs> it's right. like, yeah, I did that. I did some shit tours. Like, not fun. I don't want to do that. And then it's like, okay, well, I'll book shows because I got tired of people being like, there's no good bands. Fuck it. I'll bring them to you. Right. Then I got tired of the egos of dealing with like the business side of some of the shit and dealing with venue stuff and things right. like that. And it ruined it ruined going to shows for me because now I can think about it as like, oh, when is the ticket sale? What's the guarantee? Is there a back end deal? Like, right. oh, how much? You know, just I wonder if like, is the venue getting a cut of the merch? Like, oh, how much are they selling shirts for? Oh, they do. Oh, they're doing price matching. So that means the headline, or like for those that don't know, headliners will go. You're welcome to sell this many shirts, but you have to match whatever we sell our shit for. You have to sell it at the exact same price, so you don't basically undercut us. And so, like, when you go to big, like, arena tours and yeah. so forth, if you notice, like, small local band that's on the bill yeah. has a t-shirt, that, and they have, like, one, and it's, like, $45, too, it's because the, the headlining band was like, yeah, you're, you're price matching us, and then, of course, what's going to happen? Well, I'm not going to buy... Whomever, this band I don't I'll fucking know. know. Yeah, exactly. And, and they, they don't get the... Oh, so there's and then you terrible. know like when merch like I know the intersection I think their merch cut is twenty twenty five percent they get twenty twenty five percent of whatever the merch sells what at the venue yep just for them having the space that they gave them that's fucked up that's a lot and it's more at other places I've learned oh my god I think I've heard I didn't it, know I that it, oh yeah I've heard it goes up to like thirty thirty five percent so oh yeah there's there's and like again. When you start learning about some of these things, you're just like, oh, fuck, man. Like, <laughs> kind of just, just ruins yeah, it like, for you. Kind of takes the romanticism all out of that. <laughs> so then I like got out of that, started writing about stuff because I'm like, all right, like let me f- make people feel like they're at a show. And then I just got tired of being tagged the metal guy. Right. Even though it's like, okay, I covered Little Wayne, I covered Whitney Houston, not Whitney, uh, Janet Jackson, I covered Bone Thugs, I covered like, you know, so much beyond right what I'm known for right and then i was like fuck it i'm gonna do this thing yeah and it's still funny because like i've tried parlaying this into other avenues and so forth because i just I, I like people yeah um but it's so funny to see that even like i ruin songs for bridget all the time because like <laughs> like i was like there was a there was a pop song like probably four years ago I don't remember who I don't remember the song, and I know as soon as I say this, maybe it'll jog someone's memory. Whoever is listening, um, but I was like, this, "This melody sounds really familiar." Like, what the what the fuck? What is this? And I'm like, kind of trying to figure it out, but then like the actual song's going, so like it's kind of hard to like try to remember the original lyrics that are there. Right, right. And then I figured out, I'm like, this is like Fastball's third single that was not a single. Like it flopped. It was a terrible fucking flop. They had right. the way and whatever the other fucking single was. This is the third song, and it did not do well. Like right. it was, it basically broke the band's career. Right. And now they're using it in a, in a fucking top forty 
pop song. Yeah. I was like, holy shit. Like, wow, the tides fucking have changed. And it's like, <laughs> it's crazy to me being a fan of music. And that's why I love going back because it's like, you never know how like something that was deemed a failure can now suddenly become part of a success. Look at, I mean, I'm not saying Trent Reznor or Nine Inch Nails is a failure, but no, like no, no. Little Nas X used a snippet of a Nine Inch Nails song that wasn't even a single. It was like a deep cut. Right. And then Trent Reznor wins a country Grammy because of his involvement in it. And he could have squashed it. Oh, yeah. If he wanted to, but yeah. he didn't. Yeah. And it's like, now you get, now you get a part of a Grammy. Uh. And it's like, that's the kind of shit that intrigues me about being a person. Yeah. Uh, that you can learn from I mean, your... think about uh, Johnny Cash, like, took... I mean, like, dude, I mean, can you imagine that, though? Can you imagine, like, whatever agents of his called up Trent Reznor and says, like, hey, you know your song Hurt from the Downward Spiral? Yeah, Johnny Cash wants to sing that. Are you good with that? He probably was, like, he probably couldn't have said yes fast enough because, like, that's one of those, like, that's a legend calling up arguably another legend but in another era and saying, like, I love that song. I would love to sing that. And literally one of my last record I'm ever going to cut out before I pass it's like, is it you cool with that? I'm sure he was like, oh my god, fuck yeah, let's do that. But I think that's well. I, I've actually asked this many times. I'm like, do you think that when, say, like uh, Aerosmith was writing "Love in an Elevator," right, and they finished that song and it was all mastered, and then they were all sitting there in the studio and they played it back from start to finish, do you think they were like, dudes, this is gonna be played 40 years from now, or were they like? Good song, great, happy with the outcome, great. Like, I just don't know, like, what level they think. Then when they re- They're like, you did not realize, maybe at the time that you're writing an iconic song, but did you have an inkling? You know, the back of your head, like... They did, and here's why. And this, huh. again, this is why I love stories about yeah. people working. So that was when they were working with Desmond Child. Oh, okay. So Desmond Child, who... Like, hearing him recently, because he had a book come out about a year or two ago, and so he did a whole bunch of podcast rounds, and just the fucking stories that dude tells, and he's like, he had a band, and he wasn't very successful himself, like, they had a, a hit or whatever, Yeah. but he became a massive, massive songwriter for, like, his, he did, like, I Was Made For Loving You, um, oh, wow. I think he did uh, Dude Looks Like a Lady, Okay. and fun story, like, tidbit about that song, the way that that song starts, they went to make a loop or whatever, but they couldn't fucking turn off the loop. So they're like, like they didn't know how to turn it off. So that's why it's still there. Um, (laughs) I actually just saw a YouTube video this morning where there's a thing where they they needed like a maraca for some song. I can't remember what, which one it was, but so they had this like special microphone and I, I guess, um, uh, uh, they, they took a sugar packet and just went, Oh, uh, sweet emotion. Yeah. Sweet emotion. Yeah, yeah, that's a sugar packet doing that shit. Like, I just watched, oh, it was a Howard Stern interview. Um, and I just was like, I, and, and Howard Stern's like, how did you get, he's like, th- these mics, like, you can turn them up, or literally you can put it against your chest, and you can hear your blood, yeah, like, gushing through your organs. And it's just like, whoa. So he's like, it was a sugar packet. I was going, just back and forth. But I mean, like, shit blows my mind. I know Desmond has talked about, especially working with Aerosmith, Bon Jovi, and, you know, countless others from the 80s about how a lot of times it would start with a phrase. So, love in an elevator. All right. right. Build for that. Let's build on that. Um, And I mean, like, even, like, one of my favorite videos to show everybody, just because, like, the, the, the. uh, like the holy shit moment, and he just he just had another one too. So it's like ah, goddamn, Dave, Dave Grohl is like just a yeah, national treasure. But like, yeah. uh, there's a video of him talking to Kyle Gass from Tenacious D. Oh shit! 
and it, the the video is like called like right in the hits or whatever and then dave's like breaks it down and he's like i mean everyone you know wants to be all like da 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 like write all these beautiful shit and he goes you know you just got to write a fucking hit you got to treat got to treat it's not like a bumper sticker life's a bitch keep on trucking <laughs> and then he like he's like you know like and he goes a lot of people a lot of white people dance to like a a fucking chorus or whatever, like, or like a rhythmic things. Yeah. And he goes, um, he goes, you know who I learned how to write hits from is Aerosmith. Aerosmith, Aerosmith writes the fucking hits. And he goes, but you know what they do? They will start off with the chorus. And he goes, loving an elevator. How does it start? <laughs> loving an <laughs> elevator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dude looks like a lady. How's that start? Yeah. Dude looks like a lady. And yeah, then yeah. you just start going through Aerosmith songs and you're like, holy, holy shit, shit, they all are just the chorus. Oh my fucking God, they do. They just build around the chorus. Wow. And then, that's true. The hook. Uh, yeah, yeah, they just build around the hooks. And then, so it was like one of those, like where ever since then of thinking about like uh, Foo Fighters and stuff, it's like, like he's kind of done that in Foo Fighters like, yeah. as well. And then like very recently, he has a multitude of like documentary things out and he did one where he talks to different, uh, usually it's different artists. And I don't, because I, he's got one with his mom where he goes and talks to artists and their moms and that's yeah. pretty interesting. But then he has another one where he goes and it's like, why, why do we do this? Something like that, like get in the van or something. I don't know what, it, I haven't seen it. <laughs> But he's talking to Pharrell, and Pharrell is like a musician and you know yeah, plays yeah. a lot. Like that's the cool thing about NERD and the Neptunes and all that stuff is that a lot of it's real instrumentation. Um, and so he was like, "Oh, like man, Nirvana back in the day." Like I, he goes, "I was like inspired by like the Commodores and like the OJ's and all this kind of shit, like that Motown sound." He goes, "I mean, like it's sprinkled all throughout fucking Nevermind." He goes, "Think about it, smells like Teen Spirit," and it's like, "Oh yeah," and it's like. Yeah, and it's like, and then as soon as he like did the pattern, and then they played the the smell like, like, but like when they showed Dave doing it like slow to like almost like halftime, like, yeah, and then Pharrell just goes, whoa, and you're like, that's why it's really cool to to me to be a fan of other shit because then you it's how do you bring that in and your influence into something and make it bigger than, than any of those pieces. Right. Um, and I feel like, you know, that's, that's something that I feel like you have done with your tattooing. Like even, you know, I was talking to, uh, did an interview with a band that just got signed from here, uh, to a Australian label. And I ended up finding out that the guy went to Kendall. Oh. And so I was like, Oh, funny. Like I'm going to, I knew that we were doing this soon. And I was like, so a buddy of mine went to Kendall and I told him kind of our story from the first podcast where I was like, I'd asked like, you know, I don't understand the point of art school because basically you're you're studying art and you're studying all these people who set the benchmark for these, you know, Pollock with this or right. you know, Rembrandt with these or, you know, all these other different types of artists and so forth. And then they go, do this. And then you go to do something and they tell you why you failed at it, even though the whole point was, you know, these people broke rules. They They kept some of them but they broke others and that's how this became a, a movement or right, became right. a style or whatever and he goes they always call it the rejection of it, whatever it, it movement's happening at the time yeah i had a project they were like oh well you you've you failed this because you didn't push the boundaries so then everyone pushed the boundaries on the next one like oh but you, you pushed you went, too far yeah you went too far and then he yeah, was yeah. Like, well, what the fuck like, yeah that's you not what win. art is and i was like oh did you feel stifled when you went to <laughs> he goes yeah yeah <laughs> it's weird too because uh the difference from like it's where the the undergraduate program is when i really got like that type of push where it was just like you're not doing this right you're not doing this right. this isn't right like, it was, like you need to use this stuff. you use your gal kid but after i got my my bachelor's when i went to master's school it was like it was just 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 try this glazing technique i love podcasts is that 
uh, 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 right or wrong. It was just like, you already have your shtick. So just build on that. You know what I mean? And, and anything you do is fine. And at that time I was already tattooing like four years. So I had to make a big decision. That's why I only did a semester of master's school where I just was like, do you want to, because they also start to groom me to be a professor, a professor, because most professional painting or two dimensional painting artists, you're not going to make, you're not going to live off that. It's just not possible. So they're, they're, they're kind of preparing you to speech. Cause like, cause I remember in the second semester, it was like, well, you have to take a syllabus class. I'm like, what? And they go, yeah, it's like it'll get you so you can write your syllabus. And I go, what if I don't want to be a professor? And they basically looked at me like, oh, you're going to be a professor. Like, you're not – there's no way you're going to make a living there's off your painting. There's nothing in there for you being a right. creative. And I'll never forget – I mean, Patty Constantine, uh, who was on my graduate committee, I'll never forget, like, what she said to me. And it's it, – and I've, I actually wrote her an email, like, years after to, s- to say thank you because I was like, hey, listen, like, you know, I'm tattooing. And what I had done basically is at the end – I don't know if I said this in the first podcast – podcast or not but they said at the end of the first semester of the painting class the graduate painting class to bring in all your artwork everything everything you're doing not just painting like everything and so i brought in my tattoo portfolio and people were just like running through that and like i almost felt like my paintings were just collecting dust at the moment (laughs) they didn't want to look at my other stuff they just want to look at my tattoos and i remember at the end you know i asked patty like hey patty can i talk to you for a second she's like yeah and i said so you know, like uh, the the studio that I work at, the the one other artist that was sharing a booth, but he's going to another studio, so I'm going to be there full time. I've been offered kind of that. I feel like I'm getting even busier now that I'm here in a bigger city. I, you know, I love painting, and you know, I'm happy to do this. And I go, but what what should I do? Like, you know, I, I I love academia and the prestige of fine art. I'm like, oh, but tattooing is just screaming my name. And she said, you know. She goes, Chris, I think you would make a great teacher. She goes, I think you're very eloquently spoken. Like, you, 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 you connect with people. It's like, and you're a fantastic painter. She goes, but did you see the reaction that you got from your tattoo? She goes, like, maybe the world, the universe is telling you already. Pivot. Thank you. Exactly right. I was just going to bring that back. Like, my pivot never was out of art. It was just I was in the wrong path of art, of what art style. And, it just, and so, yeah. And she just said, you're a fantastic painter, but your tattoos are incredible. I think that's what you should do. And she goes, and, she, and you know what she really did? She goes, and besides, she goes, I've been doing this at the time, I think 18 years. She goes, you know how much money I make? And I'm not going to tell you the number, but I just went, you've put almost two decades in and wow. And she goes, well, I get a discount on my supplies. So there's that. <laughs> and I just was like, okay. So, and I, and I was making more money than her. Four years in tattooing, I was not even a, a little bit more than her, a lot more than her. And I went, okay, so it's not a very economically, like, you know, feasible thing. But uh, I, I just remember, like we were saying, that pivot, it, 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 it was such a great way for me to look back and go, the world was already telling me what I needed to do. You know, and I just, I turned, I just turned a little bit and I never looked back. And now, yeah, I, this next September or August will be 19 years I've been tattooing. Do you ever think about the things? So like, this sounds kind of gross to say it like this for me. Yeah. Um, But I know you'll understand the question. Sure. So I don't make much money doing this. Yeah. But we, thanks to one of our sponsors, um, make money that pays bills pays like so it's it's basically a break even and there was a time where like 
I was able to pay like through getting paid out every so often. Like it was like, cool. I paid for that for the year, paid for the website for a year, paid, you know, for a graphics person for a little while, paid this. I had money left over and I was like, I'm going to give some to, at the time when Dan was still on, gave it to Dan. Dan goes, Oh my God, thank you so much. I was able to pay my, like part of my mortgage with this. I paid like part of my car payment. Like if I didn't, if I didn't want to like pay things or buy things and reinvest basically. Right. Like Bridget at one point was like, you realize like if you get paid out every this much and this is what you make, like that's like, that could pay your car payment for like the, when you get paid out for like three months or whatever. Right. 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 And I was like, Holy fuck, this dumb thing I do. Can became pay. lucrative yeah not lucrative but it's like it can pay for tangible things that like where it can in theory it's a break even and then in some instances if if i f- budget better like yeah. accordingly it can be it's like profitable. It can, yeah it can be a profit and it can help in other financial areas yeah have there been moments where you're just like holy fuck like this thing i i do has got me every x day. y or z i'm not even joking well i would say every i would say at least every month or at least once a week I, I I thank my lucky stars. So I always say I'm like I thank my lucky stars that I'm I'm in a, and I hate using the word, but it's a very privileged position, you know. Where it's like I pick and choose what I want to tattoo. I I, I I you know I I have a nice car, like I have a nice house, like I can pay for the things I want to do. I'm not rich, but within reason, I never have to worry about money. You know what I mean? I just don't. Like if I want something with like again within reason, I can get it. I I, I want it, but it's not like I'm buying Bentleys and fucking you know. Uh, 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 live in a fucking like half a million or million dollar home. Like I don't live like that. It's like, but I again, that's that's also maybe like the the left brain or the the I, my my mom always called me a left brain artist where I I was relatively good with money and 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 quite cleanly and like you know organized where most of my artist friends are slobs and they're all over the place and like the absent minded professor if you will, um, and so I was kind of like good with that but i just they would live outside their means now there was a time where i did and that was when i first started tattooing in college and i remember and i'll never forget this is is when austin was a piercer at intricate core and uh we were i was yeah i just got out of my apprenticeship and i remember we had a massive week for some reason it was like it was when all the kids came back into school they they just got their like loan dumps so like all these kids so i remember i was now actually working full-time at intricate and this was one of those where all the money went through the shop, and at the end of the week, Jason cut you your check, or usually it was uh, uh, cash. But um, but it was one of those things where it's like I, uh, uh, I I I I would keep my tips, so I had a little money. But anyways, at the end of the week, he cut me like fucking fourteen hundred dollars. Yeah, and that was like for a twenty-two or twenty-three-year-old dude. I was just like, this is mine. He goes, yep, that's after your. And that was just when I was taking fifty fifty percent. So that means that I made freaking just for the shop another fourteen. That he took fourteen hundred dollars. So I remember being like, okay. And then I went out and, and Austin made good money that week. And so did David. We all went to the casino and we blew like half of it, right? And I was like, oh my god, I fucked up. I fucked up. Then next week, same amount again. So I started to get for about a good six months. I just lived like that, where I was just like money in, money out, money in, money out. And then again, that control freak kind of left part of my brain was like, dude, like. This is not sustainable at all. Like you need to put this stuff away, and so that's when I started at about twenty, yeah, twenty four. I would say um, I started my uh, IRA and stuff like that. And every month I just stuffed away money, and then I got a safe and I started stuffing money there. And so 
that extra wealth, I guess, like I just started to tuck away for retirement because they don't give it. That's the thing they don't tell you. How weird. You you guys don't have a retirement? Dude, well, that's what's <laughs> fucked up. These young kids want to be tattooers. And I say, listen, like, that's awesome. Like, I don't want to squash your passion for it. And I go, but there's some like realities, like some fiscal realities that you're not aware of. Like, there's no paid vacation. It's like, there's no freaking health benefits. And I go, there's no freaking retirement funds. There's none of that stuff. And if you want to do those things, you have to, like, my wife does all the time. Well, it's, we don't travel enough. We don't do whatever. And I'm like, oh, okay. But when I take 10 days off, that's 10 days of money lost. You take 10 days off. You still got a paycheck coming in. And she doesn't sometimes understand I'm that. I'm in that same boat because with as of right now, I'm still doing shipped and still doing like working at a bar. Yeah. And it's one of those where it's like it affords me the freedom and flexibility to, to do whatever and whatever I want. Right. Like to be available to do and talk to like whomever and a drop of a hat. Yeah. I can absolutely do that. Right. But the flip side is, is like there are times like where we're just like, oh, we should go do this. And I'm like, okay, well, like we do that. Like it's fine. Like we have yeah. a trip to Atlanta coming up and I'm excited to go, but we're going to be gone for like a full week. Right. But it's like on, and, and thankfully it's kind of like split between like two days and like the weekend. And I don't typically work weekends. Like that was, you know, speaking of back to therapy, like I set boundaries and like, I was like, if I'm going to do this, I need to start setting boundaries. So I'm just not like, cause I will work, 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 work. Right. And then I'll just burn myself out. Right. And it's like when you don't have a, it's funny when you don't have a boss, you don't have a set schedule, you find so much freedom in setting a schedule for yourself. You're like, okay, well, I'm going to do this this time. Right. And then like, so like today I knew like this is probably going to be most yeah. of the rest of my day. Right. So I was like, cool, I'm going to get up earlier. <laughs> get all my stuff. And to- I'm going to get all my shit done. And like, I had like eight, seven orders done by 10 o'clock. Yeah. But I fucking hustled. Right. And that's the thing is like when people are like, oh, I mean, when I say some of the numbers that of like what I can make doing shift and people are like, really? And I'm like, yeah. yeah. If you're self-motivated, well, you can fucking make that happen. Yeah. If you're lazy as shit, you also ain't going to make fucking anything. And then you fuck yourself. I have that fear because I, I mean, I could be super broke and I mean, I've lived that life and it's fine. I, I would yeah. still live that and be like, Meh, I, yeah. I don't mind like eating hot dogs and whatever, like. Just, yeah. I'm that person. Right. But I feel like I have an obligation to my wife to at least uphold my end of all the things that we <laughs> right. do and, and things like that. And it's like the reality of the situation is my wife makes so much fucking money at her job because she has a career and something that she's busted her ass and sacrificed so much of her life and time for. Right. That her reward is a really nice salary. And on top of that is like four like four weeks of paid vacation. But it becomes one of those that it's like, I'm never going to have that. Like no. the only way I'll ever get that is going back into like food or right. a ton of like management or retail, but then bl- like holidays are blacked out because right. you need to be there. Weekends yeah. fucking gone. Yeah. The you sacrifice you have to and make it's like, for that. Okay, yeah. so, and, then, and then it became a thing of like, all right, as long as I can pay my fucking bills and do this, yeah. I may not have the extra money like I used to, but I think I'm more richer in other experiences of being able to help her with the the dog when yeah, we first yeah. got her or being able to be like, hey, you want to go grab lunch today? Right. Or just, fuck it, I'm just going to take the day off and like hang out with you or whatever. Like, yeah. Those are things that money can't buy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as we've gotten older, like that's something that you and I have talked about a lot, especially oh, yeah. in the fact of being married is like... When you're grinding all the time, you start to lose that... 
that whole like why am I doing it? Yeah, and it's like and 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 the real um, satisfaction where it's like it's nice to climb the mountain, but sometimes when you climb that mountain, you realize how all the things you sacrifice and all the. I think about this all the time where I'm like all this. Sh- a, a perfect example: my wife in the summertime, in the wintertime, she hibernates, doesn't do shit. But in the summertime, every weekend, she's got shit. Well, right now she's in Virginia with her best friend, and it's like she does that. That's how she fills her heart and her, her recharges. I, I, yeah, I call it her, I call it a life goblet. You know what I mean? It's like how you fill that thing up, and it's like to me, it was always work, 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 grind, 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 grind. Make your lack of a better term, brand. You know, like better. And then now it's like, and I'm not saying I'm at the top of the mountain, but I've climbed to a summit of a, of sorts, and I can kind of sit back a little bit. But now it's like sometimes it is. I like, dude, like today. I literally woke up this morning. I was like, okay, yeah, I got John's thing, you know, like over like one o'clock. And I went, what am I going to do before then? Oh, I'll work in the bathroom. And I started a little bit of it and I'm like, oh, I'm good. And then at, and I was like, what am I going to do after John's thing? And I went, I don't know. Like I literally have made it where friends and family became such a off the side of the, the road and my house stuff and my career were like the two things I did and then whatever relationship I was in at the time. And now that I have a wife who she pours way more than I can into that stuff, now she does a lot of that stuff by herself. And I told her, I said, is this, is this enough? Like, am I, am I enough for this? Because I don't want, she goes, she goes, no, she goes, it's fine. She goes, I understand. Like you give me as enough of you as I need. She goes, if anything, she goes, it's nice that I have a husband that doesn't give me shit to let me do this. And so when she does that, she goes, name me – because when I, I, I felt like guilty and she's like, yeah, name me another couple that will allow their wife – yeah, exactly, right, other than you. I um, raised my hand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, name me another couple that would allow the other person – to go out for a week with another friend and not be like, well, really? Oh, but like, without me? It's like, and I'm like, hey, like, if that's what you want to do, go for it. Like, I'm, I, I can entertain myself. But with that being said, entertaining myself isn't as easy as it used to be. Like, I used to be so content with the most trivial of things. Now I'm kind of like, well, unless I'm bringing in money or distracting myself with a video game, it has to be something that. If it's not lucrative or a distraction, it has to be something that gives me satisfaction. And that's it. Those are the only three things I want. Is it lucrative? Is it distracting? Or is it literally satisfying me? I should fucking make that a bumper sticker. That's a really good idea. Because <laughs> uh... that's really all it is when we get to this age, man. Because now it's not like you and me. You remember like times we would all meet up and go to like the orbit room, right? And go like do a show. It was awesome. I had a great time. But... It's it, it the memory is more valuable to me than the actual action that we did, seriously. Because like I remember like all the funny stories when we were like pre gaming in the car, and then we all walked in there. And we were VIP because you were fucking big dick walking, dude. You were big dick walking <laughs> that day. Like you were just like all of a sudden they're like, oh, you're with John, yeah, VIP. I was like, holy shit, look at John. But we, but I remember doing all that, and the show was amazing. But I remember more about us talking, us laughing. Like, that was the value to me, is the memory of us spending time together. And my wife is reminding me of that. That's what shows are about. Yeah. Like, actually, it's funny. You said that your wife reminded you of that. Yeah. My wife at the Janet Jackson show I reviewed. So I started writing, because I'll jot notes, because, like, I have a good memory, but I also want to, like, if something's... Like, oh my God, I'm thinking of this. Like, yeah, you know yeah, what I did earlier down, like, yeah. when watching the show? I was like, oh, that's good. I'm going to, like, I don't know where I'm going to use that, but I want to write it down and have it be a thought I'm expound upon with someone down the road. Sure. Um, 
so I'm writing my notes with the Janet Jackson thing, and I'm like, you know, it sucks. The band's, like, fucking in the background. Like, I mean, for God's sakes, they're playing fucking Black Cat. There's a ripping-ass solo, and <laughs> dude's in the fucking back? Like, what the fuck? Right. And then, like, I'm... And I'm like, Janet's clearly lip-syncing. And then Bridget put her hand over my phone. She goes, look around you. And, like, I look around, and she goes, no one gives a fuck about that. She goes, people just want to be entertained. They want to have a good time. They want to hear the songs that they fucking know, and they want them to sound a certain way. Yes. Because they're not, like, like you come from rock musician guy, where you're like, this is all bullshit. Right. They come from... These are the songs I fucking know. Hey. Yeah, and then yeah, it's yeah. like, as soon as she said that, I looked down and like, cause we were kind of in the nosebleeds, but you know, whatever. We whatever. got tickets on Grubhub or Grubhub on a Groupon. Yeah. And there's like this fucking older black couple, like three, four rows down. She's wearing like a bedazzled all white outfit. Got her hair fucking did her nails done. Her man's wearing a nice fucking like yeah. nice press shirt. They're fucking dancing. And like right now, Chris, like for those who can't see, I got my eyes closed. And I'm pointing it <laughs> out. Like I'm reliving this whole fucking moment. Yeah. He's vibing. He's and vibing. I was like, that's, that's what it's that's about. It. That's, that's it. That's really what, yeah. the, that's what this is about. Like arena shows yeah. aren't really, they're not really about like, yeah, the like when you go to a club and you're you're right there with a band and, and you know like there's fuck ups and, and right, it's, right. it's about being like the sweat and the camaraderie. Right. This is about a show and being entertained. Exactly. And the memory with the people. Not, I mean, like the the, the music is amazing, but it's secondary. It's yeah, it's like yeah. second. And, and like how it made you feel, or you know, like yeah. you know, potentially that couple. I think that, that was, dude. That is exactly why though we loved house shows because it forces that out of there. Yeah. Now you have to experience the band, like because there was no room to fucking just be off in the Disappear. corner drinking. Yeah, like you had to like, like the the room you were in was not only the stage but also the area you were in. So it forced you to be like, okay, this is a memory, but you're gonna remember the band. Yeah. You know what I mean? But at a show, a, a show of that magnitude, it's, it's definitely the music. Yeah, yeah, but it's like they come out of there like, oh, remember when we went to Jenna Jack's show and like blah 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 did this and he puked on himself and we went over here and like you know uh, Rachel and blah 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 said each other they love each other for the first time. You know, like it's all these like memories that'll happen and that's more important to them than the the music that was playing in the back and that was the thing for me where it it made me realize that music is is multifaceted like that oh, and it's 100%. more about 100%. the experiences with the people that we you know yeah i can tell you about a ton of shows i've gone to with people i don't even hang out with anymore yeah but i still look back on those memories fondly absolutely and that's the the thing that I think is kind of crazy. Like I think that's the thing even about tattoos. Like you know, there are a lot of people who will stop me and be like, "Man, you got really great tattoos." And I'm like, "No, I got some shit ones too." <laughs> like, but I know I have shit ones. But yeah, like yeah. to me, like you know, my Vegas one. Yeah. Like Bridget recently got hers and it didn't heal all that great because right. it's like diamonds to do them and especially smaller are hard. It's yeah. like very lot of fine line details right. and depending, you know, just sometimes spots on your bodies don't heal all that great and right. it just is what it is but it's got a good story <laughs> but like so to me i think the fact that my vegas tattoo is a little trashy looking it is it isn't perfect i'm like that's vegas though it's yeah. rough and tumble and it ain't gonna like yeah. but the memory is still there and i had fun and i'm like absolutely. yeah did i pay way too fucking much for this tattoo absolutely <laughs> but here's the other thing when i went to atlanta and the same thing happened like and the dude wanted to charge me 200 dollars for a little fucking peach yeah and he wouldn't even acknowledge me and said it through the fucking desk person that was like we were all a foot and a half away from each other and i'm like you can't even acknowledge me. I might have done it for the story and the experience of getting a tattoo with a friend of right. mine, like while we're there in Atlanta a few weeks, about a month ago. Right. But when you're not even going to acknowledge me, I'm like, no, that's not the right vibe. I don't even want to exactly. get anything. That's by not you. a good the, memory you want to hold on to. Yeah, so, for sure. It, it's one of those like where it's funny that your profession 
is so closely linked to nostalgia and memories like and and you know you have music playing my so wife told like, me that all the time she's like how do you feel that like you've been doing this almost two decades and it's like there will there are people i get older they stay the same are, age <laughs> seriously well there are people that are in other countries that have left but they have pieces of you and that your name is going to be brought up thousands and thousands of miles from where you're at right now she goes i get it why like traveling to you is like you enjoy it but it's so secondary because it's like you travel whether or not you're staying put or not your work travels so if you find somebody that does something like that memory that capacity your work is going out into the world and i didn't really think about it that way i always thought about like well i'm doing work it's actually the worst thing too because there's unfinished pieces that i'll never finish that are just out there floating out there because like life happened for them and then they're like well i'll come back i'm like Okay, and I'm always like, dice roll, like, maybe you will, maybe you won't. Most times they don't, and so... Hold on a second. Let me ask you this, because I I literally just thought of this as you said that. Do you feel that that has conditioned you to always assume that people are going to leave and not come back in in life? Uh, Oh, you mean in life? Like, when people just, like, say, uh, you know... To not hold people at their... I don't want to say face value, but at their word. Because so so much of your job is that. It's lip service. You know what's actually fucked up is... I commit so much of that that, yeah, yeah, because I, I tell this, you know, what's fucked up is you remember when we, you and me, you, you maybe actually you probably do because you have a better memory than I do. But I remember we had this conversation one time where it talked about, you know, um, your uh, word and when you say things and that there's this honesty that everyone thinks that people want that people think that they want honesty so you and me are very much like cut from the same cloth in that capacity like i've never minced words with you you've never minced words with me we say sometimes a brutally honest truth to each other but that doesn't translate so well to everybody else because people when they say they want honesty they don't want the blunt honesty they want a whitened or chocolate softened edged up reality of that and so i started to say to people You know, like a perfect example is um, uh, my sister-in-law has a new uh, person in her life and he's a really nice dude and I actually really enjoy him, but he really wants to hang out with me like a lot. And, and it's weird because I don't know if I'll ever hear this or if my sister-in-law Jamie's ever going to hear this, but I mean this in the nicest way. He's a, he's a really nice guy. But I said to him, I was like, listen, man, like I'd love to do all that, but like I got all the friends I kind of need. Like if you want to go out and like have a blackjack night or you want to like get together with Jamie and my wife and all that stuff and like have some drinks, I'm totally down. I'm like, Oh, but the whole, like, let's start doing things together. There are people that I hold much closer to myself than you that don't even get that type of time with me. And it's not because I'm Mr. My time. It's just, I, people use up so much of my personal battery of needing to talk to people when I work that at the end of the day or even on the weekends I either want to do a project or I just want to veg and do nothing um and the people that I do on my days off like you like come to see it's like it's because that there's a certain amount of refilling of that battery because I don't feel it's work to talk to you you know and some especially new people it's 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 hard sometimes to you know what I mean? Like, like, like keep that momentum. Cause like now we're just learning about each other. So now it's work because now I have to be like, so and what you do you remember? Those and you got to remember that shit. Exactly. So to me, it's like, I just, um, 
that uh, uh, back to the, the question of like you know do I feel that you know with tattooing um, is am I conveying that or uh, the original question I'm sorry the, the question the, 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 was more do you feel that because in your profession a lot of people will go oh I'm going to come back or oh I'm gonna, yeah I'm yeah, gonna, yeah. I'm, okay all, that, that all false equivalence yeah yeah that fu- basically it has made you I don't want to say be distant from people but just. I, I feel like it, it because like if I heard like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend you to so many people or I'm gonna do this do this do this do yeah, this do this that eventually like when you see that it doesn't ever manifest into anything yeah that you just start going like well people are full of shit or yeah. more to the point you get the the real crux of it which is people have lives shit happens and it's not the end of the fucking world yeah and you just take it at face value but like I feel like. When you're younger and you're going through that, you take it personally, and therefore it probably manifests itself in probably un- unhealthy ways in yeah. real relationships that you're trying to form. There was definitely – and it's weird because now I have like kind of a spider sense about it where, you know, when someone – it's funny. It's like when someone says to me, it's like, oh, dude, like I'll be back. I promise. Like when I feel that good from them, I go, yeah, and, and 99% of the time I'm right. But I also have the people, like you said, it's like, oh, dude, like, you know, I need this. I go, oh, I recommend, I'm, I'm going to recommend you and I'll be in. Or perfect example, when I first moved here to GR in 07, I remember this dude. I can't remember his fucking name because I try to block him out of my mind. But straight up, five times I would run into him at Mulligan's. And every single fucking time, you're like, oh, Bentley, man, what's up, dude? And I'd always be like, hey, man, how's it? I'm, I'm, you know me. I'm like, and that's actually when your wife was like, we're kind of fake. But that wasn't fake. I was just, I tried to be very open and inviting to people. So I'd just be like, hey, how's it going? But anyways, he would come up to me five times and he'd be like, oh, come in. On the fifth time, and I was just had my third drink in me, so my like fucking filter was completely eviscerated and or evaporated. And I looked at him and I said, like, dude, dude, I go, listen, I, I love that you come up and talk to me. I do. I think you're a nice guy. Stop fucking saying you're going to stop in my studio. This is the fifth time in six months. Haven't seen you. Stop fucking saying it. Just say, hey, Betley, good to see you. Or, hey, man, want to have a drink? Great. Or how's the video? Or talk to me about something, anything but tattoos. But the more you said this, man, the more you're pissing me off because I feel you're just fucking lying to me. Well, on top of that, it only makes you... A one-dimensional person. Right. That Okay, back to what you're talking about. Do I think that that's where my distance started? Yes. Because, because I'm a private person, all I put out is tattoos. That's really only people have to go on with me. And Kristen brought, my wife brought that up to me. She's like, you kind of did that to yourself because you didn't put out Christopher Betley. Like, or, or I'm sorry, you didn't put out, you know, just Chris. You were Christopher Betley. So you put out this fucking product expectation of like that's all he is to everybody else now and then you get mad that you expect people to like talk to you about other stuff well all they know is what you show them and it's only tattoos now is could people dig more sure for sure but in this day and age i get it like where they're yeah i don't know but now that i'm getting older i don't care as much now i'm just like if that's what they know me for a red that makes me feel good because i've worked very hard for it to be there it's just sometimes when i go to like like, I like this, like you and me, one-on-one, or four or five people. Like that, I went sailing with some friends uh, for 4th yeah, of July. Yeah, we were literally there at the exact same time. Were you really? We were, we went, we were going to try to go to the deck. Yeah. And then there was like a massive line, so we're like, no, oh, fuck it. And then we just like went to the Dude, that was a beach. sweet restaurant, like, I know, we talk about taking people dope. there all the time, and everyone's like, oh, Muskegon. Oh, like, no. Whatever. That's a diamond, oh, shit, yeah. That's a diamond in the rough, Dude, man. Dude, they're that frozen was... whiskey coke. Oh, my lord. 
they're amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it was funny. Yeah. Like I saw Kristen post. I was like, we were literally at the exact same place Fuck. at the exact same time. Just didn't know it. Oh, geez. <laughs> so yeah, it was like, but I, I really enjoy that. But then there's times where it's like, you know, I'll go to a, a, a like, a, for example, I went to my nephew-in-law's um, uh, graduation and there was one girl there who was 18, 19. She followed me and said, and like on Instagram, on Instagram yes. And that sounded a little creepy. The other oh, way. I'm sorry. 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 <laughs> uh, follow me on Instagram, social media, not actually following me. And so she like, like immediately when she looked at me, she's like, Oh, and then my wife tells me that she goes like, Oh, well she follows you on Instagram. Like she just wants to meet you. I was like, Oh, cool. And so I went, I met her and she's like, I love that. And then all of these 18, 17, 18 year old kids all knew what he did. They all went on their Instagram and they all started looking at my stuff. And then I was bombarded by people. Now, some people could hear that and be like, oh, fucking so sad, man. Like people don't like, no, no, no. It's, it's different because now you gotta put on service, yes. And where all I wanted to do is disconnect from that. Like, I go, imagine having something that when you're in another space, like people at Burger King don't have to deal with that. People who are fucking real estate agents don't have to deal with that shit. They go, my face, my name is directly connected to the service I provide. So when they talk to me, they're talking to me, the person who can create it for them. It's almost like a film director. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I have this idea, you know, for their film. And they're just like, dude, like, I don't, or, or, or even you, it's like, you know, like with a podcast thing or like when you were in bands, it's like people go, oh, uh, you know what I think we should do? And you're like, dude, I, I kind of just want to not think about my job right now. You know, to you, it's cool. To me, that's my job. That's what I do every day. Thought about you a long time ago, actually. I walk, so I have a few friends, actual friends, and, and you'll probably, maybe you won't get this quite the same because people actually follow through at least once or twice. Sure. Uh, I was talking to uh, a fellow podcaster um, for an episode that's coming out soon, and then I made the comment about, like, I was like, oh, I mean, does anyone listen to your show? Like, any of your close friends or family? He goes, no. And I was like, yeah, it doesn't bother you, right? And he goes, no. Yeah. And I was like, and then, so, like, we were talking about that, and I was like, but the the point I was making, I was like, what's interesting sometimes is because this this and and very much like tattoos is such a snapshot of that specific specific moment. Absolutely, yeah. I've had people who like you know if they're close friends will text me and they'll be like, oh my god, blah 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 blah, and yeah, they'll yeah. like just start going on about something. Yeah. And to get it so out of nowhere when I'm not in this space or talking about yes. this, I was like, fuck, are you talking about? It like, like stabilizes you. And like, then they oh, go, oh well, in this thing, I'm like. All right, and then I'll like, and then I'll have that epiphany where I'm like, "You're bringing up an episode from like four years ago." Yeah. When I went to freaking South Dakota, man, I remember I told, I texted you, I said I listened to the one with you and Rush and Brian, mm, yeah. you know, where you guys are like, it was like a four-hour podcast. You guys were talking about everything under the sun, but you guys got into some really like like religious topics, political topics, and I remember it was rad because it was the one time ever that I knew the people I was hearing. But I didn't feel like I was listening to my friends talk. I feel like I was listening to personalities converse. Yeah. And that's what made it a good pot, a good podcast is that I know you guys personally. But like when I was listening to it, I was like, oh, I could be anybody. Yeah. And this was like a really intelligent conversation between, you know, three individuals. And so that was – but I remember texting you that and you went <laughs> – I was actually driving back from South Dakota and I was probably like four hours into the drive, and I texted you. I was like, "Oh, dude, that podcast you know, is is awesome!" Like, you know, like I, I just finished listening to it, and you went weird. <laughs> that was your thing, like weird. <laughs> so it's funny you bring that 
up. I literally like probably 20 minutes before you got here. Um, so something, uh, like I was saying, one of the other podcast people I know texted me and he was like, you know, you're, you're kind of bad at getting compliments. Like you just kind of steamroll over them. You, do. you, you don't do well with it. And I go, yeah. And we, you know, we already talked about that, but it was funny cause he was just like, like he goes, are you aware that you do it? I was like, yeah, it's, it's like a deflecting mechanism. And he goes, why? And I go, well, I think in therapy, I just realized like, you know, just, I think I hold others in such high regard for what they do yeah. that I'm like, oh, like you're trying to like, I feel, feel like all sometime- of a sudden like, oh, like now I'm an equal in something. I'm like, oh, so I'm just, like it's like imposter like, syndrome well, a little do bit. You, yeah. Like, or do you feel like feeling good about yourself is somehow a crime? Well, no, here's, well, so in this capacity, like, and, and, you know, you, you commented earlier and it reminded me of like Porter from Atreyu, like he and I are actually really good friends because of this. Yeah. And, you know, when we did like a fucking we did two hours I posted. We did it on his Twitch. We went six fucking hours on his Twitch talking. Like, just talking about wow. shit and life and stuff. And it, it's still up on Twitch if you want to go fucking ever see it. But yeah. um, it was one of those things where, you know, he was like, you know, you have this gift. And I was like, I don't think talking is a gift. Mm. And then and he said the same thing. And he was like, well, I mean, it is. Cause, like, it is. You have to, especially when you know how to, like, know when to not talk. Yeah. When to let someone or expound upon something or, or you know, it's, yeah. it is a skill you have to learn how to do and do well, especially if you're doing quote unquote interviews or whatever. And it's one of those where I guess, because it's not that I don't value conversation because I do. That's why I started this. I think that's like literally what you and I had said at Mulligan's when I was, I was like, I just miss, that's why I love Mulligan's. Cause you, can't use your phone right <laughs> yeah it's a fucking lead yeah. shelled <laughs> but it's one of those to me where it is i like we said earlier we existed before all the distractions yeah so i learned how to thrive in those environments of either being funny being able to carry a conversation that's why i know a lot about dumb trivial shit right. i have a wealth of knowledge on a lot of different things right because it's how you would be it was your social currency Right, yeah, no, that's that's a perfect way to say it. And so, to me, doing this isn't, I don't think it takes talent or skill. I think it just takes time. It literally takes your time, which is the most valuable commodity we have. The only thing I would say is that, uh, to to kind of be devil's advocate with that, is that the talent is in this, is that there's very few, well, I don't say few, but the, it's, it's a, it is a talent to be able to take a stream of consciousness and as you're thinking, to say them without running over on top of your thoughts. And I do that often. Like, I've probably done it like at least twice on this podcast where like I'll start thinking of something and I go like, well, there's the thing. And I, um, uh, you have a very beautiful way of just – you'll take your thought and you – on the fly, like just in a, like, you know, a, a, an unconventional way, have a way of taking your thoughts and make it a streamlined consciousness and speaking out loud like that. And that's very hard to do. And not sound like you're stuttering or like like toppling over your own thoughts. Two things, though. I think that A comes – actually, three, now that I'm really thinking about it. Three, I think it comes from A, when I would listen to foreigners. I've always said this. The best thing you can do and the best people to learn how to talk to people – Listen to foreigners talk. People from non-America who English isn't their first language. When they don't know what they're going to say, they stop. They think about it. They take a minute, yeah. And then they articulate themselves as best they can. Secondly, hip-hop. Freestyling. Oh, God. That's all cadence. That's all cadence, but it's also just not being afraid to fall flat on your face either. Right. But I also think that comes from my love of, like, comedy. Oh, yeah. Of, like, stand-up. Like, like uh, ad libbing. Right? Yeah, like I make jokes all the time. Yeah. Like I make jokes all the time, and I go, "Look, they're not only going to be great, but like, <laughs> no. like as someone made the joke, it's like you're going to throw like 
you're never going to throw a touchdown sitting on the, or you're never going to score a touchdown sitting on the sidelines. Yeah. And it's like, so you can't be afraid to like, like I pride myself on being funny. I know I'm funny. Maybe right. not in like a more direct way. Like I'm more off of like a, I play off of people. But probably really for well. every like one to two like bangers you throw out there, there's probably, I probably got like five to 10. Yeah. Five or 10 that just like, meh. but the yeah. other thing is my sense of comedy is also playing off of people. Yeah. I have to wait for someone to kind of set something up for me. And then I go, boom, there's yeah. something you probably didn't notice that. That's why I'm making mystery science theater. 3000. You remember that show? That was it too, where it's like those three guys would just like bounce off each other. And it always te- send to be that crow would kind of set it up. And then those Joel were scripted and, and a lot more. Oh, was it really? Yeah. They, Cause oh, I know when, uh, um, sorry to ruin that for you. That really um, was. cause oh. when, uh, Joint. I mean, I'm sure it was a little bit like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's like ad lib. Like the premise was probably yeah. like scripted. But like, but I know yeah. when Jonah from X Nerdist podcast took over as the host. Yeah. He would talk about when they they knew the movies they were picking. They would write jokes for scenes so yeah. they could set each other up. Oh, okay, gotcha. But then that stuff tend to be a little ad lib. Sometimes, like it might be like, oh, it'd be funny if this happened. Oh, and then you punch, as the term is, you punch up the joke right. until it's the best it can be. Right. Um, but I mean, that's. Sort of like I think why my original interview style came from. I'm yeah. I'm punching up my questions like because that's, I'm working that's on the it. Truth, yeah. And on top of that, who the fuck's gonna work on something to put out bullshit? Like, yeah. I'm not gonna sit there for two, three hours coming up with questions and then be like, well, this is this is the best I have. It's garbage. So let me ask you these garbage questions. Right. Like, there's a little bit of accountability there. You but... actually said too that sometimes the the time crunch that they would allow you to talk with them also kind of like where. They would be like, well, we only got 15 minutes. So for you, you're like, okay, that's maybe three questions, maybe two. So you're like, if I'm going to give it to them, I don't want to give them fluff. Like, I want to get right to the meat of it. And you you said that kind of helped you. This is such a, and again, it comes back to music. Do you want to know the thing that really changed my mindset on taking 10, 15, 20-minute interviews? Yes, I do. So when Bohemian Rhapsody was about to come out, and obviously they talked about how they tried to go shot for shot on the Live Aid concert. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I went back. Uh, it was like, um, I think a lot of people obviously did. And watched that Live Aid show. They only had 22 minutes. Oh, yeah. Watch that set. Yeah. Minute one. Own the crowd. Yep. Burned it down. Yep. One of the most legendary concerts and pr- like his, performances ever. Ever. But ever. like, if I, if I were to tell you, like, how long was that? Oh, that was probably like forty five minutes to an hour. No, twenty two minutes. Like twenty two minutes. Yeah, yeah. And like, it proved to me that you can do some. Like, you know, one of the other podcast people I talked to was like, "Oh, I only do. I won't do anything less than an hour because like you can't get to the meat and potatoes of anything and anything less." Right. And, and I you do, were like, "Challenge I, accepted." <laughs> I, I, I do agree with him. I think there's sometimes things that you know, like. You know, like a lot of people say Rogan gets interesting at like hour three because at that point, like the, the walls and defenses are down. So right. now someone's re- that's where you really start getting into somebody. But like to me, I think I like a challenge. And to me, it's like, OK, what can I do in 15, 20 minutes? Can right. I can I get something out of you? And more importantly, can I at least leave a lasting impression? Like, you know, you made the comment of like, oh, that's a good question. Like, you know, I did it to you. And I literally was saying I want to start a podcast and I threw some questions out to you and you were like, huh, ooh, ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, yeah. If I can get one of those in every, like, an episode, yeah. fucking win for me. Yeah. If you can get somebody to stop and go, huh. wow, Like that's... they don't have a pan- yeah, answer ready. exactly, because, like, for the most part, you know most interviewers probably ask them the same bullshit over and over and over again. So when you throw them a left, you know, a, a, a freaking curveball, they just go, oh, wow, okay, never thought about that. And they... Yeah. Yeah, and it's good because then I feel that because that they're not asked that, you're probably going to get the most honest answer. Because it's not scripted. It's not something that they've, like, perfected. Of, like, you, what was that? The 
uh, what was that thing you said where it's like a pre uh, uh preconceived or, or yeah or, uh, no what we were saying about um this their scripted kind of thing where like they're uh you just said it a little while ago, but there a couple seconds ago. But yeah, it was like, but yeah, it was like where yeah, like they've asked, they've been asked it so many times that they've found kind of a a, a narration that they know what to kind of spill off. But when you give them that, they just go, oh, um, well, you know, and I and that again, that's what I said. Again, a talent. You have a talent at that. You you're not satisfied with fluff. Like if anything, you know, it would have been another thing for you too. Like you've been a great journalist journalists but here's the thing i actually think you would make a real great journalist because most journalists are like i want to and especially now today's journalism is sensationalism and taking things and just ramping them up we're like you i don't think would want to do that you would be like i want to give the most poignant questions to get the most honest answers now i want to make sure that i'm asking the things that everybody else wants to hear but you would do it in a framework that wouldn't just be the same bullshit and that's that's a talent, man. That's that really is like whether whether or not you want to accept that or not, you have a talent at that. You know, I think like, that was like the the thing I kind of realized with the <clears throat> I'll call I'm, I don't want to call it a failed documentary, but like just the fact that it's kind of got the legs taken out from under it. I think at this point, I, I think points to the fact that it's it's not going to come to the fruition the way I wanted it to. Uh-huh. Um, but I think the Run the Jewels documentary thing I was working towards, I think, kind of showcased that where it's like. You know, 12 different breweries involved. I want to have FaceTime with all of them. I want to ask them, like, what did you ask? And I sat there for, like, probably two weeks. And I was oh, like, that's oh. nice. I was what, like, you and Rush, something like that, talking yeah. about that? Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck do you ask? And how do you get it to where it's poignant to get... It's the same question, but you could... It's open-ended enough that people will then go wherever with that question. Right. Um and like it's like I've only gotten to do one interview so far, and it was with the fucking brewery out in the Netherlands, and uh, I think it went like thirty, almost like thirty minutes of us then talking like after that, like after my two questions, but like they, like the information I got from them was like, oh my god, like this this could, and then it like showed me because of how much I had, I was like, if that's one, and I got a half hour, right, and I have eleven more of these, Ugh. and I was like. No wonder, like, people have director's cuts and shit. And I was like, and then, but then it starts doing, like, the, well, what do you whittle away? How do you whittle it down? And then it's like, right. that's why I was like, I'm only going to ask you questions because at most, like, I shouldn't provide too much. Has but, there like, been any, like, painful interviews, like, where you're just, like, you're, you're trying to dig at them? And you don't have to say names no, if you don't I, want I mean, to, I, but, I've like. I've said this before, and I think it's for an episode 300, I think it's, it's great for it to kind of reflect a little bit. So sometimes we, I get shopped interviews, and I really just don't want them. Yeah. Um, like I'm like I just don't see the value. So I was shopped this band Audio Topsy, which had uh, Matt and Greg from Mudvayne, the drummer and the guitar player. Okay, and I was like I don't want to, and and the other half of the band was the dudes in Scrape. Oh okay, and so I was like, band's just okay. I don't really dig it. Whatever, like I yeah. don't really want to do it. Passed on it. Actually, I just didn't reply. And then, hey, just checking back. And wanted to see if you wanted to do and it. And I was yeah. like, no. Nah. Like, I didn't reply to that. I was like, all right, maybe after the second email, they'll be like, no, oh, okay. Yeah. And then I got a third one. And then I got a fourth one. Holy shit. And it was shit. just like, and I'm, so writing on the wall, no one wants to fucking talk to these guys. They're oh, desperate for any press. wow. It's how I took it anyway. Yeah. Not going to put words in other people's mouths. Yeah. Um, so I was like, fine, I'll talk to Greg. And like, okay. Okay, here's the thing. Uh, can't, talk, can't talk about motivating at all. And I was like... All right, like, like, <laughs> like I kind of want to be like. I mean, I get it. Like, it's not. Yeah, 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 But yeah, like, yeah. it's like okay. 
it's hard when you essentially have a quote unquote super group of two two other bands that you're forming together with members. But I can't talk about the other. I can't talk really about the one. And so, like, when writing my questions, I was just like, you know, what, like, this is the second record you've done, but it's been years in between releases because you guys are both busy with your other bands. So, I mean, it's like there, there's questions where you have to. You have to reference. About, yeah, yeah, you have to reference it at least. Yeah. So, and I don't want to give this tip away, but like, something I've always found for me, if you want to break, um, ask hard questions or you want to ask something kind of shitty, yeah. but you want to not take ownership of the shitty question, <laughs> uh, at least in this medium, it's always the fans. I, I saw online people, yeah. nameless, faceless people. Yeah. Um, and then you can ask the question because it, it, it gives you the automaty to not get the brunt of asking the shitty question. Oh, I've learned that a long time ago. Like nice. you were saying, people don't want the truth. Yeah. Well, if I put it on nameless, faceless people, well, then I don't have to, like... Take you have to take, you have to take a responsibility for uh, that, yeah, yeah. Because so, it's not me asking it, it's this... I saw it on ...wraith, life. yeah, um, in the yeah. middle of nowhere. And so I had made the comment, I was like, is it hard, you know, I'm seeing... And, and legitimately, I did see this, but, like, you know, more to the point, though. But it was... I was like, you know, I'm seeing people who are like, oh, I wish... You know, Scrape would come back, or I wish Mudvayne would come back, or whatever. And it's like, you know... This music isn't either of those bands. It might have influences from those bands because you guys are in those bands. Right. I was like, is it tough? You know, your second record coming out and people are still wanting either of those bands, but maybe they more so. In, and I always, whenever I would mention the two bands, I always mention Scrape first. Right. I never put Mudvayne as the priority or whatever. Right, right. And so I was like, is it just tough? Like, you know, like you're putting your, all of you are putting your, your all into this band and people are just wanting it to be this other band. Right. I was like, does that suck? Like, what, I mean, what is that like? Like, cause I mean, I feel like that would be hard being These expectations, cre- creatively yeah. satisfied only right. to know that commercially it's going to fall flat because it's not the other thing that you're not doing. Right. And that, you know, people can't understand that it's, it's creating or it's scratching a different creative itch for you or whatever. And then he was like, Yeah. It's, it's not fucking Mudvayne, and Chad's not the fucking singer. That, and he, like, fucking went off. Whoa. And then I was like, oh. This is the guitarist that you're yeah. talking to? Okay. But, like, the whole time, it was, like, pulling teeth. Like, I'd ask, like, I listened to the record. I didn't like it. Yeah. But I found, like, I did with discography discussion, where I was like, oh, we're doing mostly death metal and black metal bands, and I'm not really into that. And right. and it's like, it'd be easy for me to be like, oh, it sucks, and I don't like it. <laughs> but it's like, okay, let's take the real adult approach and be like, okay, Let's give it its due. Let's try to find something you let's like about it. Let's be objective as we possibly and can be, let's, right? Because here's the thing. It, someone likes this. Yeah, it's someone's sure. favorite band song, whatever. Audience Same with this. Band. This guy likes it. He thinks it's really good. Otherwise, I would assume he wouldn't have put it out. Right. So for me to be like, I think it's dog shit. Why'd you put out dog shit? Like, right. no one wants to hear that. Right. So let me ask. Find interesting questions that I give a fuck about, and let me ask you those. Right. And... And he still just and he just was like the whole gamut. He just like didn't seem like he wanted to fucking be there. Didn't want to like gave me short choppy answers. And I was like, I want to be like, dude, fuck yourself. I turned this down four fucking times because I didn't. I don't give a fuck about it. So if you don't, then let's just be done. Can not waste our time. Let's not do this. And so at least like when that happened, and then a whole bunch of news sites picked up on on some of the Mudvayne chatter that he was like, people just got to be patient, and it'll happen when it happened. And then coincidentally, when Mudvayne came back, I got like a third bite at that apple where they're like, and on this one, he, Greg said this, and on this one, Ryan wow. said these things, and it's it's funny how that works. So it got me a lot of exposure, but it's like 
I didn't want to do it, but I mean, right. it's like, there's a lot of like, I mean, again, working customer service, there's a lot of things I have to fucking do yeah. or say or whatever the face I have to put on and I don't want to fucking do it, Yeah, but I have to. Sometimes you have to eat shit. Yeah. You know? And it's like this, this was a thing for a while. Like, you know, it's funny. Another full circle moment I had doing the podcast was that band that's from here, Sleep Waker, um, that by the time this comes out, it'll probably already be out. Actually, no, it won't. Um, cause I forgot this is getting, uh, pushed right to like this weekend. Um, <laughs> But it was a thing where in talking to them, I was like, to the drummer, um, I was like, you know, I wanted this show to be something different initially. Like, I wanted it to be an avenue for our local scene to to get some exposure. And, you know, I'm talking to the the up-and-coming bands and my local bands and, and, you know, touring bands that are coming through that maybe people don't know or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, and then I would reach out to those people and they're like, oh, mm -mm mm-mm-mm. Yeah. And then... Once I was like, all right, well, again, pivoting. I was like, I guess the local scene doesn't want me, so I'm just going to focus on getting bigger guests. Yeah. And then I started getting bigger guests, and then the local band started being like, hey, we'd like to come on the show. Uh, and I'm like... Weird how that works. <laughs> and then it's like, you know, when I told someone, they're like, hey, maybe you can play... Like, And the thing that always gets me, and I get a lot of these emails, and, and I don't know if you get this. I don't know what the comparison to this would be for you other than just straight copying someone else's art. Yeah. Um, but I'll get emails, and I know they're blast emails, or they're just copy pasted emails, whatever, from yeah. like bands or whatever. Like, hey, we'd like we're putting out a new record. We were just wondering what it, you know if you would like to review our album. And I'm like, if you actually are such a fan like you say you are in the first part of your email where you're sucking my dick, mm-hmm. you would know I don't do album reviews. Yeah. Like so, and then like one day I got fr- frustrated with it enough, and I've been at the bar, and I was just like, I'm gonna give you the same. I'm gonna give you the same service you gave me, or I'm gonna give you the same amount of time you gave me. Would love to review your record. I was like, because you know I love reviewing albums and all that kind of stuff. You're such a fan. You know that I love reviewing records. Yeah, I've never reviewed cont- a fucking... I was <laughs> like, I've never reviewed a record on my thing. Don't... I was like, if I have learned anything in this industry from the multi-facets that I've worked in it, don't bullshit people. Be yeah. fucking honest. Because guess what? Someone's going to catch you in either a lie or a fucking whatever. Yeah, be transparent. Yep. Just be transparent. Like, you can tell me, like, hey, we're just blast emailing everyone. We're just trying to get the name and the word yeah. out. Absolutely. But then I'm going to come at you from a business perspective, like I did with some bands, where I'm like, cool, 50 bucks. I'll play your fucking song in the middle of the, in the, middle of the episode. Right. It's a business. It's yeah. a business transaction. Like, you see value in something I've done. Right. So, yeah, I'm not taking advantage of you because I know other shows that charge fuckload more than me. Right. But... 50 bucks. You obviously see value in something I'm doing because you wouldn't have reached out to me otherwise. Right. So if it's worth it to you, put the money down. Right. Yeah. And to me, it's like, I don't know what that equivalent is in in your thing other than, oh, I've been following you for so long. Can you do this watercolor for me? And they'd be like, have you seen me do watercolor? You know what's weird is like, I I don't, the only time ever, and this is actually, uh, the only comparison I can make is I don't get, emails like that because i i filter that stuff i i give an auto response and like that basically filters people out where it's like oh i have those on socials now too oh yeah well it's it's so absolutely because it's like it makes it so the people who are serious will will actually follow up and get and go so when i do have people come in though sometimes the only thing i would say is comparable is that someone will come in and they're like oh my god like i love you know, this piece or this piece, or I followed you for a time and I'm like, great. But then they, they do this whole thing where they're like, oh, so like a perfect example is like, I want a watercolor tattoo. I'm like, well, I appreciate that. And they go, but this is the person I'd recommend. They go, well, I want you to do it. And I go, but you're not asking for my work. You're asking for something. They go like, but you're a great artist. And I go, so that actually, uh, I started to think, I'm like, there are three types 
of people that want to get uh, or, or, or that come to an artist. One is that they're just the walk-in, like, whatever. They just want their little pop. And then there's the two. Then there's the collectors. The collectors are the ones that actually say, okay, this person's black and gray realism. This person is biomech. This person is American traditional. So when I want those pieces styled, I'm going to go to this, this person because I enjoy it. And then there's the third that just see a good artist. They see the level, even the subject matter isn't what they want, but they see the level that what it's at. But again, it's the same way that I tell people this is like, listen, like I'll take the Pepsi challenge with realism and maybe a little bit with neo-traditional, American traditional, but I know people who do better than me than that. But don't ask me to do biomech because here's the thing. I'm going to fuck it up. It's going to look like shit. I could probably fake it a little bit, but you wouldn't love it. Like, like you want that. You go to freaking like Sean Peters or, or Ty Riemann or Roman or Guy Atchison. You know what I mean? Like those are the biomech, for, for, even coming back first look on this, masters of what they do. I was trying to think, didn't Bob Terrell do that shit for a little bit? Or am I thinking of someone completely different out of Detroit? Oh, you're not thinking of Bob Tyrell, basically, and God, if Bob Tyrell ever heard this, he would probably laugh in my face, but it's true. He was more of a Paul Booth mimic in his oh, early, okay. in his early yeah, yeah. career, which Paul Booth Why, kind of did. Shouts out to him. Hope he uh, pulls through. Yeah, yeah, with his That's, neck. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, he had vertebrae. Yeah, it's, it sucks, man. Um, but Paul Booth wasn't really doing, like, I mean, he did a little bit. It was a little uh, Giger-inspired. Um, and I never know what's Geiger or Giger. Oh my God. I was just going to say the same thing. Yeah. I always say that. I'm like, is it Giger or Geiger? What, I don't hold on. Is he European? Yeah. He's from, uh, then I bet it's Giger. I bet it's Giger. I, th- I think I'm saying it right because I, I heard five artists once say like, you know, like, oh, Giger, HR Giger. I'm like, yeah, that's Giger. But, um, uh, God damn it. What was I talking You're about? You're talking about Bob Terrell, Paul Booth. Oh yeah, yeah. So he was mimicking Paul Booth and Paul Booth had a little bit of that Giger inspired work. But then it became more of this amorphous, demonic, yeah, like black and gray. And then Bob Tyrell just went just black and gray portraiture. And that's really where he went. And then guys like Tom Renshaw and stuff like that. But Tom Renshaw went more nature where he did like more like animals and mountainscapes and shit like that. And uh, all, all amazing. But, but yeah, so I, I, sometimes I see people and it sucks because they look at me and they're like, but I want you to do it. And I go, I know that. I'm like, but you're not asking what I do. And, and, and again, like you were, I think you asked before, it's like, when did I start like going down this very specific range? Because it was just realism and Neotrad, but then I'm kind of pushing out Neotrad where back to that, you know, uh, Jack of all trades, master of none. That's really, and I thought that was bullshit when I was younger when someone's like, oh, well, yeah, pick one craft because you're going to be mediocre at everything else. If you try to be everything. And I said, bullshit, I can be, and I did get some, actually Gary Morrill, rest in peace. Um, he gave me one of the best compliments. I still have it screenshotted and saved on my Instagram. And, but here's the thing. He meant it 100% as a compliment, but it, it bummed me out because I had like people like Don Cook and I feel like I'm name dropping a lot, but all these great artists that I respect saying this compliment to me, but I hated it. They were like, but Gary Ramiro, back to him, what he said, he goes, how can you be four amazing tattooers in one body? That's a great compliment. Because he's saying I do all these different styles, but they all look really great. But I was like, I don't want to be Christopher Bentley. He can do anything. Like I want to be when you hear black and gray realism or color realism in Michigan, at least these are the top five, top 10 guys you want to guys or girls you want to go to. That's what I wanted more than anything. And straight up 
that's when I told my wife, I said, once I started Last Rogue, I did one more year of kind of neutral. These last two years, I've just been like, I think I just want to do realism and mostly black and gray. And she's like, you're going to cut out a lot of your clientele. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to. I think honestly, like I'm, they're going to respect it's what I do. And, and this is, and this is the framework that I have to go on because no one wants to get anything from anybody in any craft if they're not inspired or into it. That's just fucking fact. You know, same thing with your guy, like that fucking PR agent, if they were doing Spaniel should have been like, this fucking dude does not want to do this interview and he's not going to be, and you actually gave it the old college try and did it. And that guy gave you fucking dick. He gave you nothing. So it's kind of, okay, a- yeah, I mean, two things to that actually. And I just was talking about this person the other day because he was one of the first people to tattoo me, mm. but to see where he's come from, from being a walk and shot person to oh, yeah. what he does. And it's very specific. Johnny Andrews. Oh yeah. Like I have uh, two pieces by him from when he worked down in Kalamazoo and I had just started getting tattooed. Yeah. Actually yeah, two. I was like, maybe I have three. Um, yeah. But it's like, if I were to show you what Johnny did on me, and I show you what Johnny does now, you'd be like, what the fuck? It's all space hyper-realism, yeah. and it's gorgeous. And nature, it's great. And all that kind of, like, natural, like, yeah. you know, mountains and all we that We send of each other work, actually, because, I, I mean, I love space stuff, but I, I don't love to do it that much, and he does it better than I do. So I send people that, and he sent me, like, fa- I mean, he does face up, but then he was like, there was this horror piece that... He sent me. He's like, listen, like I love to do it. He's like, but I'm I got a full place. Like, and I know you do it better than me. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's that respect level. But you're right. It's there's this thing where I, I tell people this all the time. Like, oh, you don't want your artist to give you a hundred percent. Any professional will give you a hundred percent. You want a hundred and ten. That hundred and ten is that little extra that makes a good tattoo a great tattoo. Well, so even that that's that's the best segue I could ever ask for for this. Yeah. You, excuse me, you essentially have taught me how to let go where I feel like I used to want, like, everything had to be my way. Mm. Um, like, I started getting stuff by you and it would just be like, all right, I know you're going to, like, either draw it on, like, stencil it around literally, literally my body, draw it on for my body. It's not going to be like, oh. I got A7, these are arms, that'll go on yours, and here we go. Right. But it was a thing where I would say there's probably, you know, two or three pieces I have by you that it's like, when people see them, they're like, wow, that's amazing. I'm like, yeah, and they're like, what's it mean? I was like, I don't know. Trust in the person that I have that they're going to do something good, yeah. and, and it's not going to look like garbage. Yeah. And it's like, they're like, oh, well, why'd you get them? I was like, support my friend. Yeah. Just spend time with him. Spend time with him. And they're like, oh. And I was like, I mean, and it's funny because like my, my dad is one of the few that actually vocalizes this quite a bit where they're like, you know, I hear this sentiment all the time, but I think he's one of the few that, that I think gets why I do it. Where he's like... Your dad's a very intelligent guy. He is. He, he is, and, but he's, he's also, also very rigid. Yeah, yeah, he could probably be rigid uh, in his thought process. But it's it, very much so. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those where he's like, I wish I could be like you where like you have so many now that you collect and you like you're fine with like I'm going to Atlanta so I'm going to get the Atlanta Braves egg because we're going to see a Braves game or right. I went to wherever the fuck and I got this thing and yeah. it's like I wish I could do that I'm like you can he's you like can. but it has to mean more and I'm like no they don't like tattoos I, don't have like they can mean something yeah but they don't have to mean the end all be all for everything like Piggyback, it doesn't have to yes. be that way piggybacking on that exact same thought I literally told somebody they said like well it's so permanent it's the permanent thing I, it has to mean something I go like it is actually the most impermanent art there is it go. It's got a shelf life of a maximum nine, 90 to hundred years, and then unless you literally tax me that shit off you, it's dying with you. So, 
and, and again, like if, if it's a religious thing or like, you know, like you just don't feel like you want to do that, fine. I'm going to go, but it is one of the most impermanent art that you can possibly do. People put this like, it's permanent. And I go like, dude, like. And you can get it lasered off. Like, exactly. It's like, you can get it taken off too. But I'm going to go, nothing is super permanent. You know, it's like, but I go, but I, I've always, they go, you have artwork in your home. I go, I go, that painting that's hanging on your wall is going to last longer than you will. I go, so don't put so much pressure on yourself, yeah. you know? Like, here's the thing. If, if you're not sure or, like, you're a person that, um, like, you... Impulsive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, or, or you, like, you know, you have shirts that you're like, well, I, I don't know why. I go through these phases of being, like, you know, I only wear baseball tees. And then, like, or I only wear, like, V-necks. It's like, okay, well, if you're a person that it really, really bugs you to see something that you're not into anymore, maybe be more selective. But if you're a person that just dig something i always say like meaning is a great place to start but i know the minute you get past that the level of tattoos you're going to get is is going to be astounding because you're going to be more about i want to see the quality of the work the meaning is very secondary after that fact and it's like i just want something that looks cool well i mean that's like even like you and i have talked uh about when because i'm very all over where I'm like, oh, we're like, we're working on my leg. But then it's like, I'm like, yeah. And then like, I still need to have you, you do the inner arm fill there. in this fucking spot. Right. Right. Um, and then it's like, I, you know, I've talked to you about like, Hey, it'd be fun. Like, I don't hate either of my back pieces. Like they're just, I think bigger now. And I would like to see something all the way. Sure. Sure. And so now I'm just like, fuck it. I think it'd be a fun, creative, I will probably not like you for a lot of the parts on it, but like, <laughs> I think it'd be a fun, creative process to be like, Okay, Chris, I want to challenge you. Let's do a cover-up. What the fuck are you going to come up with to, to get, like, get rid, of, rid of this and make it better and make it a, a newer version of where I'm at or whatever, or the right, new story right. of where I'm at or whatever? Right. And to me, like that's, that's kind of the fun thing of, of getting them is just like, all right, how do you take something like... Uh, you know, like with the last one you did, like where you're like, oh, I have, you know, your house is <laughs> a hole in the roof. And then, you spe- you know, speaking of like, you know, hustling and you were like, all right, uh, I can pay for the whole thing. Like if I decide to work and not go on vacation for the entire time I was looking at doing, and right. you did. Yeah. Uh, but you got to do one fun, fun thing. Cause like I looked at that going like, okay, you're so regimented with your schedule and you have shit, you have to do projects you have yeah. planned this is the fun part as a like a friend of yours or a yeah. friend of a collector, like a tattoo artist, where it's like, what do you have that you've been sitting on that you haven't gotten to do? Right. This is the time to kind of fuck around and do that because this is now extra time that you weren't planning on. Right. So fuck it. Let's do something fun. Right. Like, I don't care. And they're like, well, I have this piece. And I'm like, all right, I think I got a spot for it. Like, <laughs> let's figure this out. That's only the problem that you get to at RH2 yeah. is like you start running out of room or you had other pieces thought for those spaces. So, and yeah. But it, it becomes one of those things <laughs> where like in doing things like that, you essentially and through our friendship of, of what you do professionally has taught me to be a lot more loose in my life and just be like, man, fuck it, let's just, I don't let's know, do let's it. figure this out. Yeah. Like, I don't know. You got one lap at this, man. Might as well make it a good one. It's, uh, it, it makes it more fun when it's, life more fun when it's not so by the books. You know, that pressure. Yeah. People put on this, like, yeah, unnecessary pressure on themselves. I'm like, why are you putting so much pressure? Like, and that's, they go like, oh, it's permanent. I'm like, oh, it's not really. I mean, like, you're not permanent. <laughs> you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna go. I'm like, sorry. Um, <laughs> Well, at this point, I feel like uh, we're, we're circling back too much to, to things we've talked about. Sure, so sure. I'm going to ask you one last question, and, and we'll see if this weirdly comes back to anything else we've talked about. But, you know, you had just said, you know, 
and as I started by saying that, you know, in the time that we've done this the first time, you now have your own tattoo studio. You are the sole artist that works there. It is your thing through and through. Right. Um, now, I know part of how you chose the name. Yeah. What, how long did it take for you to settle on a name that essentially would represent you? You know, it was one of those that uh, there are so many shops that either do one of two things. The, the, they'll, they'll do some, I don't want to say lame, but it's just like this. No, I will say it. It's kind of lame where they'll just do like, you know, like pain for sale or, you know, it's, it's like, or like slave to the needle. And, and it's very, and, and again, like, you know, those shops can be good or bad, but like the, the names were always just like this very, almost an off putting on the nose. Yeah. Two very on the, on the nose. nose, two on the nose. And then there's other ones where, you know, it was, you know, it seemed like, you know, uh, you know, black sales or, you know, all these other things. So I had to be as honest as I could with myself because I always wanted to have something that was, um, I don't say authentic to me because it's not really because it's still kind of a gimmicky thing, but I was always into video games and I always played thieves or rogues. And then, you know, I was always kind of a to-myself kind of person. So Last Rogue just sounded, it just just rolled off my tongue. And then I just really liked it. Um, But it's funny is most people think it's a Star Wars reference. And uh, I've had people give me gifts of Star Wars stuff, which I never say no. I've never corrected them because I'm like, I fucking love Star Wars too. So I don't care. But it's not. It's, It's literally my solitude and my nerddom that I kind of gave homage to, which was just basically last rogue. But, uh, just to kind of expand a little bit on that, you know, having my own studio is exactly what I wanted and I, and I love it. Um, but no one tells you that when you are really at the helm, that there is a juggling act that you're not really ready for where I have to be an artist a business owner, and also the counter help. I have to be the person that's not only being professional and concise when I'm tattooing, but also professional and articulate and forthcoming when I'm interviewing my clients to see whether or not we're going to do the project. And then I also have to do, you know, Bloodborne Pathogen and OSHA standards and, you know, do my body art facility licensing and, like, you know, my insurance and pay my mortgage, pay, or not really mortgage, but pay my lease and all that stuff. And there's all these facets and you, you get into a rhythm of it. Um, but I can see why that, like, my wife was like, oh, we should make a shop. I'm like, I don't want to add more headache to what I already do, <laughs> man. Like, I like that it's. It's busy, but it's simple. I've streamlined it to be simple. So, but with that being said, yeah, man, I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't change it for the world. But Last Rogue was, if it, if I would say it had, well, you know, I never thought shop titles. Well, back in the day, a shop name was a household brand where it's like, you know, a, a still one here in Grand Rapids is, you know, Moss Eisley's where it's like. Another Star Wars reference. Right, exactly. Another Star Wars reference. But Moss Eisley's. You never heard back in the day, like at least when I first got here, you never said like, I went to blah, blah, blah at Mose Isley's. People would just say, I go to Mose Isley's. Exactly. I go to Mose. And so when, when Matt and I started Plowshare in 09, I told people like, they said like, oh, oh like, where do you work at uh, Plowshare? And they go, I've never heard of him. I go, good. I don't want you to know the studio. I want you to know me because artists make the shop. 
And that was something that street, street shop guys never got. I'm like, people don't come here because of the name. They come here because of the freaking level of talent you have on your roof. And so that's why when people hear Last Rogue, I've never heard of that. But then they'll say, and I'm not saying to boast, but they say, well, Christopher Batley, and they go, like, well, I've heard of him. Good, because that's what I've made people want to hear. That, that's the brand that I wanted people to hear in their name. So Last Rogue is just basically my LLC and how I pay my taxes. But um, uh, it does sound cool. I like it. I like Last Rogue. It sounds sweet. <laughs> Since it's been about five years, and this is kind of a, about a, a full circle sort of moment. Yeah. The actual last question I have for you. In the last five years, with as much as happened to you personally. You and me and both. Yeah. yeah, to me both. What a... Uh, what do you feel has been one of your biggest learning moments and what did you take away from it that maybe you can bestow to other people? Getting married um, to my wife, um, she brought something into my life that, uh, you know, I, like you were talking about like being distant and, you know, not being always like, you know, present in a lot of people's lives. My wife reminded me, you know, like she's a social bug and she loves being around people, but straight up, like she brought me closer to my family um, than I've ever been in my entire life, you know? And I could never repay her for that. And she did remind me and what we were just talking about too, when you get older and uh, you get to that kind of mid mark or halfway mark, you know, it's not to say that only family matters and all that bullshit. I mean, that's, I don't know why like, I hate when people say shit like that. I hate when people are like, oh, at the end of the fucking time, it's only just your family and your children. I'm like, bullshit. Like, there is so many things I've done in my life that I'm so proud of. Do I think that family is extraordinarily important? Absolutely. But uh, I always go off on tangents, but like back to like the, 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 the central thrust of this. My wife is the one that gave me the biggest learning moment where she said, you know, Chris, they're not going to be here forever. Your friends, your family, none of it. Now, I'm not saying you have to, like, change your entire life and, you know, be this guy that's just going to, like, do a 180 and, like, oh, it's all about family. She goes, like, but make fucking time for them. Make some goddamn time. And uh, it's, it's the best advice I've ever gotten from anybody. Um, because she's right. And being closer to my grandfather and my papa and you know, my mom and, you know, f friends and stuff like that, because of how much she pushes me into that direction, I'll never be able to pay her for that. It was, it was great. She's, she's amazing for doing that. She's a butthole too. So I'll just, <laughs> she's kind of a butthole too, but I love her. I wouldn't trade her for the world. Well, on that note, I feel like this has been a, a Rogan-esque epic 300. Dude, we went everywhere. We, yeah. hit, we touched about every subject, I think, across the board. So uh, we, I just poured uh, my Deftones tequila. Oh, is this that tequila? Oh, yeah. shit, man. Deftones tequila, bottle uh, 116 out of 2002. Can I say this before we, we cheers this? Um, I, back to how I started, man. It's like, I'm, just, I'm really proud of you, man. Like 300 episodes. You For anyone who doesn't know... I work really hard, okay? But John is one of those that he's working when he's not working. He's always, yeah, he just gave me the look like, yeah, fuck yeah, I am. He's always thinking of how can he better it? How can he make it more engaging? How can he make it? And it's not through a, 
um, a lens of like, how can I get more on me? He's just saying, how can I make this more enjoyable for everyone? And that's really what I, I respect about him. That's what I pushed him back in Mulligan's, uh, yeah. 2016. 2016. November of 2016. Yeah, forever ago to do this. And I just, I, I couldn't be more proud of you, brother. And I'm, I'm so happy. Here's Thank the Thank you so much, man. Anytime, brother. So that was my conversation with Christopher Bentley. Um, again, I really want to thank Chris for taking two and a half hours uh, that you actually heard. And then another, I think we talked for like another probably 45 minutes after that. Um, it's just one of those things where, like I said in the intro, and, and I think if you can kind of get the vibe from, from that two and a half hours of us just kind of going back and forth, there's just something magical about when you're able to, like I said, open up to somebody and not be afraid to talk about some things. Um, you know, we started kind of off right away talking about therapy and how it's helped both of us. Um, I can definitely say there is a very not so long ago time where Chris would have never fucking admitted that, uh, let alone on a podcast, let alone commenting on a mutual friend's uh, Facebook page about something that would help them. But I think that's the thing is, is that I've loved seeing uh, about Chris lately in his life, especially since, you know, getting married. You know, Chris and I have always talked about how, for me and my wife, that we balance each other out really well. And, and that's what a good marriage is. And, and that's what a good relationship is, is you're able to kind of balance each other out. One maybe is a little bit more introverted where the other's uh, an extrovert. And, you know, you're able to kind of pull each other out of your comfort zones and, and help you both experience a more fulfilling, satisfying life. And I think Chris does that for me, like in a friendship way. Like I love seeing that his wife, who is a little bit younger than him and, and is a little bit more adventurous than he is at times, I, it's great to see her pull him out of his shell and get him to go do more things with people. And I think the adverse is is really great for her, where I think he has a lot more patience and calmness and and just is able to expound upon that for people. He has definitely, for me, allowed me to be a little bit more comfortable with being more in the moment, being present with things. Uh, and, and not just going a million miles an hour. Um, and the crazy thing is, is that dude with as booked up as he is and, and how far he has to work and get things done, it would be so easy for him to actually get lost in the, the what's coming down the road. Uh, to not think about today, to think about tomorrow, because I got to do this project, I got to get this drawing done, I got to call this client back, I got to do I got to do all these things. But he doesn't, he's always present. And even when he's tattooing, and that's one of the other things is I feel like you can tell a lot about a person in the intimacy of getting tattooed. And Chris has definitely been in some very weird positions, uh, tattooing me where like, you know, he's right on top of me and we spend many, many hours, uh, with him basically, as you know, I say, inflicting a lot of pain, uh, the pain of friendship basically. And, you know, he always makes you feel safe. Uh, he makes you feel comfortable as best you can. And it's not even necessarily in anything he says. It's just kind of his calming presence. And uh, Chris is one of those that ever since I've known him, he he doesn't necessarily speak a lot. But when he does, the weight of those words just carries so much. Um, like I said, this is one of my favorite uh, people in my life. Uh, and I hope you kind of get a, a glimpse into why. Like I said, I know this was actually a lot more of me kind of working through some of my shit. But I think, like I said, that is more of a snapshot of what Chris and I's relationship is kind of like is helping each other um, because of just not being afraid to, to be us around each other. Um, episode 300. 
I, I really have to thank Chris uh, for pushing me to, to do this. I, I definitely don't think five years ago sitting in a bar, I felt that I was worthy of carrying a show that anyone would care what I have to say, my opinions, my, my thoughts. And Chris, Chris was able to show me and tell me why we all deserve those things. We all deserve to have, have our voices be heard, have those platforms. And, uh, it's definitely one of those things where I'm just, I'm tremendously thankful and indebted uh, to, to our friendship. Um, I really hope you enjoyed this. Uh, we have plenty more episodes already done. Literally did a conversation the next day with Andrew from uh, Idola that was equally as, as rewarding for me. Um, can't say enough good things. So I am going to wrap this episode up. It's long enough as it is. I'll stop blabbing. Simply enough. If you would like to keep up with Christopher Belly, you can find him on Facebook at Last Rogue Tattoo. His Instagram handle is at Christopher Betley. And Twitter, which pretty much does not use, uh, is that last rogue tattoo. Um, feel free to follow his work, see what he's doing, see why he is one of the most in-demand artists here in not only really Michigan, but just kind of in the area. Um, he is just one of the best people I know. And I love being able to present some of those people maybe you don't know. And maybe now you're going to find a new artist and maybe you're going to come down here to Grand Rapids. You're going to get a tattoo by him, or if he does any of the conventions, you're going to go and get something awesome by him. And as he said, you're going to have a piece of him travel with you forever, or until you die, because <laughs> tattooing, ta getting a tattoo isn't permanent, because you, you, will, you will cease to exist with it on you at some point. Um, so all those things said, that is where you can find Christopher Bentley. Uh, he is not super active on socials, but give him a follow. It's always entertaining at the very least. And last but not least, for us, you can find all things Brutally Speaking at BruceBeatPod.com. This is the landing page for a reason. Anything you need to see or know about us, it is there. I uh, want to thank our sponsors again for the continued support, 300 episodes, and hopefully for the next 300 as well. want to thank Rockabilia. Go to Rockabilia.com and use our code BREW and take 10% off your total purchase order. On Point Palmade, keep your beard and hair looking on point. Use our code BSP15 and take 15% off your total purchase order. And last but not least is... The Bean Bastard Coffee. Head on over to TheBeanBastard.com. Pick up some delicious, fresh ground coffee. And, uh, yeah, for episode 300, I'm John. We'll talk to you next week where we are joined by Matt Carter of Emory. Talk to you then.